Hello, everyone, and welcome to one of probably the best episode of Power Spike there could be because we're at the cream of the crop. We just got to see some of the top League of Legends this whole past weekend right into your eyeballs, into your brains. Digon, Monty, and Dom to break down the world of LOL Esports as we had the LCK finals, LPL lower bracket semis, and then uh, and you know, upper and, bracket final. Upper bracket finals. We had LCS uh third i guess second place second place and first place uh grand finals uh and then lc kicked off their playoffs as well uh and which is where we're going to start just quick reactions from this uh group stage of the lec playoffs after we had a week off boys i think g2 looked pretty rough i mean they still have the the problem i mean i always call them uh I call them EUT1 because the way that they play is like they're really good from ahead. And when they start snowballing, they just like win faster and like more cleanly than anyone. But in games that are close, I think they really struggle. Um, and now they're not finding angles to completely snowball like they used to. They're having like Draven bans every single time. So they used to get like an odd Draven win. They haven't really decided to commit to that style with other AD picks like Kalista and Samira, which they were doing before. Now they're playing things like Varus um, consistently. And yeah, it just feels like they've tried to round out their play style by being able to play some of the level six uh, junglers like Vi, and it just doesn't look like it's the same team. So they lost to Koi pretty convincingly, convincingly in the games two and three. And then Koi just got absolutely smashed by BDS. So G2 is actually looking like they, they might not make it out of this group. I will say I think that the BDS a BDS is just a bad matchup for Koi. So like you know just because it, 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 I wouldn't say just because like Koi lost to BDS that necessarily represents a relationship between BDS and G two. Um, Koi has been really struggling with a lot of their early games and relying on kind of late game comebacks. And I think BDS is that, that sounds um, terrible into, to G two, right? Isn't that stylistically <laughs> countered by G two? That's true. That's true. Um, but I think like BDS has just been very tight in terms of teamwork and like fundamentals and like early game objective control. So you know, it's I think it's very hard because I don't think BDS makes a lot of mistakes, and you kind of have to outplay them in order to win. And that's just not something Koi is is really doing right now. I think you know Koi has been Koi has been like battling back from behind, but I think it's tougher to do when you see the tight control and kind of forced fights around objectives that beat uh, that BDS gets because they've they've gotten so many of those early dragons and kind of forced soul point and soul fights. Um, I was at least encouraged also very briefly by Vitality's performance today. Like mm -hmm. it, it has felt as though Bo has been up and down, but Bo had an extremely good performance today. I, I don't think I've ever seen that amount of jungle gap in a series before. Like, have you ever yeah. seen a jungler get back to back like 5k gold leads with 10 kill games in, in yeah, a series? Yeah. I mean, this is this is what we were, you know, anticipating, but he has been a little bit up and down. And yep. I guess for me, Vitality, it has always felt like we haven't seen all of the players like playing well at the same time. And maybe that time has now arrived, which is very exciting. Yeah, the bow show fully unlocked. Photon was constantly getting things across the map. Perks is being perks, upsets being upset. I mean, this team looks absolutely scary. And the team that we thought Vitality would be up against, the the good story of Astralis. And then on the opposite side, we touched on a little bit uh, the late game fighting team prowess of Koi just couldn't stand up to Crowny, who got a pentakill in that game number one on the Zeri. You know, we've seen a lot of this Zeri Felios matchup, but uh, congrats to the pentakill to uh, Crowny. With these teams left, uh, we'll. we'll 
Uh, yeah, just real quick in terms of who you think make it on through. As you said, G2 looking a little scary, you know, uh, not not exactly as dominant as you we'd expect to have to go through now SK and then bounce back against Koi. And then you've got the Mad Fanatic and Astralis in the other lineups here. What's our other team that makes it on through here in the LEC group stages to the playoffs? I mean, I still think it's G2. Just because G2 has a bad day doesn't mean that they're going to continue to play poorly throughout the rest of the tournament. I mean, I, I think Koi has been really suspect, and I think if that rematch happens, that G2 can can take a win. Dom? Mm, I, I think that, that G2, it really just depends on how they adapt to what's happening right now and how much they care about actually winning this split as opposed to like trying to elevate their overall gameplay because they already qualified for MSI. They don't have to, yep. you know, perform in this split anyway. And if they really want to like keep on playing the way that they have, which I thought they were going to kind of like cut out the Varus and they're going to cut out like the Vi and they were just going to go for these, these high aggression comps. If they're going to, if they're not going to do that in the Koi series, I don't know if they're going to, go back to things or if they'll be as good at playing that old style, because I don't think that when you take time off um, from playing a style, it just stays there automatically. Like you need to get reps on playing the game in that manner in order to uh, just have it be something that you can execute on every single time. And they just haven't been doing that for a while. I mean, game one kind of looked like old G2 and then, you know, game two on, it just, it looked like the G2 of the rest of the spring split. All right, well, that is what our experts believe here in the LEC playoffs. Again, we will dive more into it later on because there's a lot more to go into. We're not even in playoffs. We're still in group stages, whereas we just have some juicier reactions as we go towards the LCK and LPL. And speaking of LPL, it's time to put our hands together to remember one of the greats. All of us have dreams. All of us. Imagine what a world could be like when things go perfectly right. And unfortunately, for one team full of crackheads, it did not. And for a word and a moment on it, let's pass it on over to Pastor Rivera, also known as I Will Dominate. Yeah, it was, uh, it was tough for the boys at OMG. But overall, all I want to <laughs> say about about omg is that this is actually a massive result given the team when you look at who they're playing against they're playing against some of the most expensive rosters that you have in the lpl they took down lng they took down top esports and they had a close series versus blg where it really looked like they could have ended up winning that game five if they were able to just not make that you know massive blunder on bot lane so overall the boys that weren't able to get it together but it's, it's a good result when you consider how many championship points they, they were able to secure and then also how, you know, it, it works when you go into summer. I mean, there's only six teams that make Gauntlet in the LPL. So now teams like Top Esports, teams like RNG are going to be sweating because if they don't place highly, if they don't place highly by like a significant margin, they're not going to end up making uh, Worlds over OMG. They might not even make Gauntlet. So I'm, I was pretty happy watching them play. I thought it was really interesting to see a team actually just get consistently better as, as opposed to like completely choking and just being a shell of your former selves right at like your final best of five. That's just like one of the hardest things to watch, right? And I think OMG is the opposite of that. They're playing their best. Um, they're playing their, their best, you know, in the playoffs. And they just simply were a little bit worse than, than BLG on the day, which, 
you know, makes sense. BLG has all the has all the players, right? They just got Yagao, who's a champion. Yagao is playing really well again in playoffs form. Bin is an absolute fucking monster. He's been a monster. He's probably the best top laner, best performing top laner in this playoff so far. Obviously, MSI champion of the last MSI. And yeah, when everything's hitting for BLG, they just have really insane players across the board. They're all playing really well at the at, at um, the most crucial time. But OMG pushed them. OMG really tested them, and they're able to just keep on fighting these games. And you could tell while watching OMG just th that the team just has some fucking soul. You know, like when they're losing, they <laughs> still keep on fighting. They like try to win the game, where other teams just don't have that, bro. Yeah. Other teams they start losing, and you can just see that they just have they mentally check out. They don't give themselves the best chance to win. So I I thought it was a it was a great playoffs from OMG. I really like seeing um, them make this huge stride um, in, in the playoffs. I, I never thought that I would, I would see this team, which is primarily the same roster that they started with two years ago, actually get this good. I, what I love about them is they, they're like a, they're, they're, they're like a very well-tuned engine, but the fuel can only be chaos, right? <laughs> in that if you put enough chaos inside of it, that's when the good macro decisions come out. I think that's what's so weird about watching this team is sometimes they fuck up like the most basic plays and don't know what to do. But if you put them in a one of a kind late game scenario, somehow they can make very, very good shot calls uh, out of. So it's like they can't turn their brains on unless it's like really difficult to solve the problem. And then sometimes they can just solve the problem. So I, I think they're extremely entertaining to watch. Um, they draw so many of these like weird pocket bands, which opens up the draft for them. I, I do wonder about the meta that's going on in the LPL right now, because, you know, in that game five versus Billy Billy, yes, they, they did well in the early game. And if they hadn't kind of get, gotten the Zeri back into it by misplaying the bot 2v2, then there's an opportunity perhaps for them to win. Um, but they did give up like Zeri Annie Wukong to blue side, which yeah. in this meta, that's like fucking thir patch 13.5 Exodia. So like, I don't really know if they, if, if this were a different meta where they could afford to give up some of these picks, perhaps these results change. And in spite of that, they made it a super competitive series overall. Yeah. Um, I will I say, think I they should have think... uh, blinded Braum and then last picked Scion. I think that would have been really yeah. good. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm that, joking. That's, that's really what D1 did. Okay. No, I think I think that giving giving some of this over um, is makes it really really hard to win. Um, so I think in in spite of that, OMG really did have a very good split, and I'm excited to see what they can do in the future. They certainly were an unorthodox team. I like the solutions they had to a lot of problems. I like the way that they do creative shot calling, even if they as I said, fuck up the most basic shit at times. Uh, they're just fun, man. I'm sad to see them go. Yeah, I mean, I I was messaging you, Dom, watching on the way down to Raleigh, watching the, uh, was it game two? That ridiculous fight back against Billy Billy. Yep. Elder Dragon just holding on and holding on, 10K down, the 10K I mean, power that, spike. That was, was that was like a 50-50 a flip at the end of this game. Like, if that game goes, you know, if that game goes the other way to, to Billy Billy, this becomes like a 3-0, right? So it's... Sure. <laughs> yeah but it's they, they do play risky right they do yeah, play risky yeah. they they only know one way to play and i think one thing that you hit on was that almost every player had a moment in that series of being like why are they so good well cream on the right champions shanji obviously the biggest standout there i think abel had multiple times where 
he was making something out of nothing. He did like it was a 13,000 damage in one fight where the rest of his team did a combined like 2K. Yeah, right? And and we highlighted like, oh, well, who's like the weakest link? It's probably Aki. Like Aki in the wins looked really good and he was one yeah, of the catalysts to keep fighting back, right? He played really well in the game four. Like that Lee Sin game to get them to that game five, like that was his time to to really just put the team on his back. And, you know, he. I think that it was fine to put him on Maokai in, in the last game and other people had agency. They weren't able to do enough with it um, to win. But I think people really started realizing, like, like this playoff run, I think, showed people what I really like about OMG. When you yeah. watch them, they are just, like, one of the most fun teams in the world to watch. They're so fucking cool with the way that they approach the game. And, like, you got to remember that this team is, is getting heavily banned out. Like, they are a team that's essentially, like, as close to a one-trick as you could find in competitive play. And they're getting all their shit banned out. Like, yeah. you didn't even get to see since the top esports series. Rumble and one, two, and three they're banned. giving up Wukong, Annie, and Zeri in multiple games in this series. And winning yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and, they're winning, and they're winning some of these games because for them, it's just, it's more about, it's and it's also, like, one of those things where they play blue side and they win more on blue side than they do on red side because of the fact that the counter picks and stuff don't really matter to omg they just want to pick their champions so they just would rather be blue side get their champions first you can pick whatever you want into it but you can tell that these champions that are not op it's like no one thinks rumble's op right now no one in the world thinks we gotta ban rumble like this champion is too strong right now most people are like oh well rumble you just play like a tank or something or oh okay like you could play you know aurelia or, or, or something and you can shit on this rumble no one is even willing to give this guy rumble because Shanji will just take over the entire fucking game and he'll play it in a way that you won't you won't ever see that from anyone else. Who the fuck is going to play no TP top lane and then be bot lane at four minutes? Like who, who's going to be bot lane at four minutes when they don't have TP playing a rumble with Ignite and just take over a game to that degree? There's so many different things that, that they're able to do. And, you know, like there's I don't think that they were playing their best against BLG. There was some games where I'm like, oh, this is just like a rare misplay or, you know, all the players aren't aren't playing their absolute absolute best, but like when they start hitting, when they really are playing on their top level, I mean, I think they're they're one of like the most fun teams to watch. There's just so much going on with their games and the way that they they play. I mean, their team fighting has gotten so good. They're one of the best team fighting teams in all of LPL now. You know, um, I was just thinking we have 47 teams in the major regions, and I, I kind of wonder is there. Do 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 the uh, Chinese fans know? Do the LPL fans know? Do OMG know how much we gush over this team? Like it's one of our favorite teams. We'll never know. But uh, again, a a great salute to the end of the season for OMG. One more time, uh, thank you for a great spring split. All right, next up, we have ourselves uh, a classic segment we love to do on here. Keep a kick by two. 80 carries young that have been going back and forth. We've talked about it for a while. We've lauded their performances, but now it's time to put up or shut up. Keep or kick. Who are you holding on to? Are you holding on to leave or are you holding on to pays? It's an LPL versus LCK version. Let's get into it. Well, pays writing his name in the history books as a, an LCK champion. Uh, with Gen G this past weekend as they defeated T1 3 to 1 whereas over in the LPL still a little bit of work to do uh for JDG or er, for um EDG or EDG but 
but still, he's way up there in terms of performances and as rookie performances across the whole League of Legends uh, esports ecosystem. So who would you rather build upon, leave or pays? Let's go with you first here, Monty. Uh, okay, so a lot of the question as to which is like the most sensational rookie uh, to this split was going to come down to playoff performances and what would happen. And I'm not going to. Okay, so I will say both these players are very good. I do kick leave and I do keep pace. And I'm not saying it because I think pace had an otherworldly finals performance or LCKF playoffs run. I think he was excellent and did his job. It was other people that ended up peeling for him or the team compositions that really worked out in his favor. But he had to be stable and deliver what was given to him, basically. And he did do that. He didn't make a lot of errors when it came to positioning or getting caught out. He seems to have really grown over the course of the split. Part of this is that he was helped significantly by big step up in performances by Peanut and Delight. I think over the course of the playoffs and then by Doran by in the finals where they made sure that he was going to put up some big score lines and they made it very easy for him. But the contrast to that is that the leave we've seen so far and especially in the EDG series was that he still was JDG. Yeah. Uh, sorry, JDG series. Yeah, he yeah. was still he was still making positional errors. He was still getting caught out uh, at the start of fights at times. I think it's tough to play against JDG because they are so good, especially when Knight is on Ari of creating picks and punishing positioning. But he was just not as big of a factor in that series in spite of the excellence that he's had throughout 2023 so far. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I would I would keep Pays and I would kick leave as well. I mean, I just think that Pays has been pretty much as good as you could ever imagine a rookie being. Uh, I mean, you have him replacing Ruler, right? One of the most historic probably one of the greatest 80 carries of all of all time um being replaced by by pays and then pays comes in and he's just he's good mechanically at laning from the beginning so it's not like there's this ramp up time where he can't really lane versus the top tier 80 carries in the lck which is like i mean when you think about the top tier carries in it top tier 80 carries in lck right now you have guma deft viper like these guys are all really fucking good um and he was good at that immediately. Obviously, his team fighting wasn't the best, but that's also a coordination thing. Um, obviously, he's not making the best decisions, but for an AD carry, once they get comfortable with the team and everyone knows how they want to play the fight, they know what they're capable of. I think that the Genji as a whole got better at playing around pace as well. So I just thought he was extremely good um, for the entire split. He was impressive in the playoffs. I thought he was impressive in the final. Um still like small things like itemization sometimes there's like there's times where he was getting caught out but i don't even think it was his fault like the scion q mid lane where he has to burn both sums where he's nowhere close to the fucking hitbox and somehow he still gets hit that's just right games being terrible so um i don't blame him at all for 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 that shit i, I thought he thought he was you know he was he was the he was what top three AD carry in lck when when you have those three people that i just mentioned that's pretty fucking impressive for a rookie split like he's the real deal I also think you've just seen remarkable growth. I think his team fighting was quite good right from the start. Um, and I think his biggest issues, especially right off the bat, was that he was unaware of when he could be punished, particularly by tower dives. And so he would not back off far enough and give the respect that um, he needed to to enemy teams. And so sometimes he would die stupidly in that way. 
Because, you know, in his experience, teams are not capable of dealing with some of like the long range or deep dives that you can see in, in professional top tier games in Korea. And so he had to learn that, but he did learn that lesson quickly. And then the other thing was sometimes he played kind of badly around vision and would recall on wards and get caught or other things. But that is all cleaned up as well. And we saw basically none of that um, in the playoffs. So it really has been some excellent growth, I think, and credit to Genji and their coaching staff and their in-game shot calling for fixing these issues. And I think the coaches did a great job of providing compositions where he would be able to safely backline throughout the the later stages of the playoffs. And um, it was good. He wasn't the star of the show, but he did do his job very well. I think what one caveat I would throw into this conversation if we're thinking maybe more de developmental is that uh, Leave is getting to learn from Mako, whereas Pays is learning from, I guess, Delight and Chobi. Delight's had a solid career and has been around for a while, but yeah, Mako but Delight has hasn't a, played a on a team of this caliber, though. And I exactly. would say that Delight's last two best of fives were really good. Um, yeah, he was. I mean, really. he outplayed the best player in the world by far. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a weird my T one jersey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but there you go. Okay. This one, maybe not the hugest discussion of our uh, keeper kick. A couple of people in chat being like, ah, let's just get to next week's keeper kick after we set this one up. But it's been fun to, I think, put it, put a close to the performance by both of these rookies and, and see their ascendancy um, in, in, in two of the top leagues and just kind of track them throughout and kind of, as you said, Monty, not solely based off the performance of the finals, but you got to see a little bit more of the shakiness by leave. Obviously his story's not done yet. Still has the opportunity to bounce back in the yeah. lower bracket of the LPL finals. I think what was crazy for me about pays is that, you know, as a rookie player and certainly delight has not played on in a stadium before, you know, and had that kind of energy. So both the question mark was really for both pays and delight as to how they would perform when they got to the losers finals and then the grand finals. But if anything, I think both of them stepped up massively and were not shaken, didn't have the nerves, nothing like that. It was impressive. Well, leaving here on the note that we would keep the player from the LCK, we return to the LCK because we have a, a good old segment of tough to swallow. We know you love it when we go on rants, get upset about things generally about players, about drafts, but this one comes from Pastor Dom again. I, I don't know what we're... Oh, it's not Pastor. It's Flamer Dom. No, 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 no. no. You, could, you could be on the pulpit. It was a eulogy before. It's the bully pulpit now. It's time for some fire and brimstone, right? Yeah. Sure. Know. Here it comes right after <laughs> Easter. He is risen, and Dom is going to bring uh, bring out the, the the strong hammer here. Let's get into it. This week's episode, or this week's segment of Tough to Swallow. What was extremely tough to swallow for me, uh, and you know, I, I saw no no issue swallowing on the the uh, cast was the LCK cast when T one was playing because my God, this is like one of the most biased casts that you will find in all of League of Legends, probably the most biased one. You're watching the series and not only are the comments all made from the perspective of how is T1 going to find out how to win this? How are they going to come back from this and get a reverse sweep? It's it just, it's obviously the, the angle of T1 for every single comment that it's made. It's still the point of delusion. When you have plays that are being made by Genji instead of complimenting Genji or pointing out what is happening on the screen. They're 
are all these comments that are made, especially in the analysis portions of the replay, that are crediting T1 for like misplaying things and and you know just you see I mean I have some things written down. You see a cast where Chobi has a massive outplay. This is like 15 minutes into game one. He redirects his Q, and when they go to the replay, the exact words that you get. The exact words you get are pretty well played by Zeus, knocking him away pretty much all he could do. When Chobi massively outplayed him, he redirected his Q. If if Zeus just flashed away, he just lives, right? But because Chovy outplayed him, that's why he, that's why Zeus ends up dying. How the fuck does Zeus get outplayed and then get complimented where it's like, yeah, he did he did really well there. He knocked him back. He pressed Jace E while Chovy pulled down his pants and took a shit on his face. How is that guy getting the fucking compliment there? Then the last the last game of the series, you have Faker going in, misclicking his Everfrost. He's trying to Everfrost. He's obviously going in with R, trying to Everfrost, line up a charm onto Pace who has no cleanse, and he accidentally presses Zanyas. He fat fingers his Zanyas, and it's literally so bad they almost lose the entire game off of it, right? Like they lose three turrets in him. It's like, oh my god, the game almost was completely lost. The question was, could Genji end off this Faker misplay? And then in the analysis, it's, oh, well, Faker, Faker R'd forward, and then he realized his mistake, so then he decided to Zanya's, and, like, yeah, this was clearly intentional by Faker. What the fuck are we saying? Like, are we watching the same game? Why does everything have to be, oh, a good play from T1, and then, oh, it's T1 not playing well on the day? Oh, T1 is just not having a, a, a great day today. Like, why is everything from the, the vantage point of T1? Like, why can't they just at least say what's happening on the screen or credit Genji when they make good plays? Because Genji was the better team. They were significantly better than T1. Like, it looked like if that game, if that series went eight games or went 10 games, Genji would win like seven, eight something like that they would win a, a huge amount of them they were just playing better even in the third game a lot of it came down to team comp it felt like in every clutch situation genji was the better team but they're ignoring what's happening on the map they're ignoring t1 walking in to, to 4v5s and taking them they're ignoring faker getting caught they're ignoring the misclick of abilities i mean everyone who's played league of legends before in their life knows a misclick when you see it you think that faker is actually that bad you think faker would actually are into the whole enemy team and zanyas knowing that they have jinx traps and a bunch of things that are just going to cc him and Al he's going to instantly die <laughs> why, why would he ever do that why would he ever do that he would of course he's trying to ever frost have you ever seen an re play before the whole point of, of ever frost on re is that you are forward you ever frost it lines up your charm you hit the guaranteed charm and then you're able to like kill the person that is charmed what are we saying? It's just so insufferable listening to them uh, when T1 is playing. And it's to the point where it's like, do you actually want these LCK casters casting internationally when T1 is playing? I don't want to fucking listen to this. Imagine if T1's not playing versus an LCK team. Imagine what that cast is going to fucking look like. I thought it was egregious. I thought it was one of the worst things to listen to possible. And just the information that they're saying is straight up wrong. There's no reason to be so much of a fan that you're delusional. And if you are, then you shouldn't be a caster. You should just be a co-streamer. Like, I'm fucking sitting there go gushing over OMG, but I'm allowed to. Like, I like OMG. Those are the people that I'm watching. The people in my chat like it. Like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. You're a professional caster. It is disgusting the amount of bias on this cast. I absolutely hated it. So I do think that the cast did get better um, as the series went on for the most part. Um, there were some things that I, I struggled with as well, um, just because... I felt that Genji's story, especially from the KT game, was not being told particularly well. And but there's also the fact is that, you know, D1 did dominate the season and they were looking extraordinarily good. 
at many, many parts of this season. They did innovate the meta. Um, you know, Caria was very deserving, I think, of the MVP award for the regular split. Um, they had previously beaten Gen G, but I think I think the issue for me was is that all of you know the last two best of series, so the, the second best of three in the in the regular season, and then the best of five that had already happened between these two teams were both very close. Um, very, very close. And so I didn't read Genji going into the finals as being like a, a titanic underdog, um, especially after I saw the KT game. And to explain why I I wish I would have said something publicly because I as soon as I saw the KT game, I was pretty confident Gen G was going to win the final because they completely dismantled KT. Um and what was so impressive was that they were so ready for all of KT's play styles. And they beat them at they beat KT on every facet that KT had developed over the season. All the things we had complimented them on when they had a when when KT tried to run the twisted fate in the pick composition, they basically glued delights Tom Kench to pays for the entire game, and they refused actually to do things even like do a dragon while pushing with a with in mid lane with I think it was with a herald at the same time. They would only group up as five, and they gave KT no opportunities to create picks in that game. And I think they played the macro extremely well. And there were no there were no openings uh, for KT's pick comp. And the next game, KT then they're like, okay, the pick comp didn't work. They've got to read on this. So what do they do? They they build the ultimate KT power composition. It's back to Ezreal, and it's it's back to Karma. I mean, they were undefeated when they had Ezreal Karma this this season, and it was back to the Jacks, right? And then Genji manages to take that apart as well, right? And I think at that point, KT's like, oh shit, like this is bad. They're beat. They're beating us at. They're countering like everything that we're doing to them. And the question for me was whether Gen G was going to be able to do that in 24 hours versus T1 because they're very different teams. But they looked extremely fucking ready for the Caitlyn Lux again, undefeated from T1 this split. And I was just really impressed by their preparation and their coaching, as well as, you know, Doran obviously stepping up huge on the Gragas, uh, you know, Chovy's play. But to Tom's point, I do think that it did get lost all of the the excellence of Genji. And for me, who is who really has spent this entire year trying to be the guy who talks about why Genji is good, this playoff run I felt was really understated um because because the focus was on T1 for the most part. And the finals were held. How? Where was the finals? Where was the like? Where where was the finals held? Like what stadium? In the Jamshill Indoor Arena. I, I've cast oh. a final there as well. So it was in a stadium. Well, because I was wondering because I thought it might be held in the same library that MSI was held in. <laughs> in Busan. <laughs> no, the, the Genji fans were loud there. That's that's not fair. I, I heard a lot of the Genji. You know the cheers. Because when T, when T one lost, it was like a funeral. It was a fucking <laughs> funeral when I was watching. I didn't hear. I didn't hear a word. Like, it was just so strange how everything was through the, the lens of T1. But then somehow T1 is not even being criticized for, like, the, uh, they're, if they're as good as everyone on the LCK cast was trying to make them seem, then this is a massive choke, right? This is a, And it this was is a, in many ways. And it's just not... So somehow, like, when Genji's out playing them, it's T1 playing bad. It's not a choke. You can see the nerves from T1. You can see 
their decisions in the draft. How fucking mentally shattered was T1? How mentally shattered was T1 based off what they were indicating in the draft? And you, we just, we hear the whole game. And I swear, if you listen to the audio, it's the same problem that people had with the Tigers where they're like, oh, if you listen to the audio and you saw the game, you would have no idea what's going on. If you listen to the audio from these games, you would think that like T1 is still like winning, but just not as hard as you'd expect them to. It's just, it's so delusional. And like, I, I don't know. I, I know you said that you thought it went, it got better as the series went on. I didn't even agree with that point because at the end, when Genji's like ending the game, it's like, and it looks like Genji's about to, to uh, Genji is going to pull off the upset. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're killing the Nexus actually. So, I mean, so I, I think that they did tr start to, you know, talk about Zayas's underperformance and like him being shifted over to Scion duty, which I think causes a lot of problems in terms of the way that T1 typically likes to play. Um, I think that the lack of ability to play Zeri, as we talked about previously on this show, like really hurts T1 in many ways. Uh, but I think what was so crazy to be about the final game is that the Scion was never going to be unkillable because I, I felt that the team composition analysis was incorrect in the final game. In that, yes, T1 has a massive... Double Kraken! Exactly. <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> so, yes, T1 has a massive front line with the Scion and the Braum, but yes, also, to your point, Dom, they have double Kraken Slayer. And also, there is no threat if Faker and Owner can't get onto the back line to a, a Jinx and a Tristana just unloading unlimited auto With a Lulu. So, you know, there wasn't backline threat. And the problem is that Faker and Owner couldn't get into the backline because they let Peanuts Maokai through and he could just Maokai ult whenever the fight started and they get free autos onto the Scion. And the Scion was going down quickly. So I really, I really just disagreed with the analysis because the Maokai was basically countering the, the engage. And look at how they played it around Faker. Every time Faker would go in, they would just pop Maokai ult Polymorph. and then just... Yeah, or polymorphim, and then they would just auto the front line. And Faker and Omega choked. I mean, he played very badly in the last game. Um, but I also don't know how he could have played well because the draft was so bad. Yes, the draft is so... Think about, like, so when you have Ari Lee Sin, normally you need other angles. You have other things that are providing threat sure. within the game so that they can't just save everything for the Lee Sin or the Ari. The light just gets to sit there. Oh, one guy goes in. That's an ult. Okay, now you're useless. Oh, Lee Sin goes in. You're polymorphed. You're useless. In what world are you ever going to win that? That's essentially a ball comp versus a ball comp. When you play Braum, you play Braum to deny engage. You play Braum into champions that want to run into you so that you can just tag them yeah. all with your auto attack. There are no champions that are running into you. And even, even in a worst case scenario where somebody gets into the back line, Doran can even just ult them over a wall with Cassante. They are playing. It's such a massive draft from Gen G, but yeah. then they're setting it up. Yeah, I agree because they think that T one can't lose. So when they're setting it up on the castle, like how is T one going to win this? How are they going to pull off the reverse sweep? I mean, they won the they won the last game, and they've been the best team by far. So they're going to win this game. Like it's just to the point of delusion. That's what I hate. It also it also didn't tell the story of the the changes that Gen G made in the draft between games three and games four. So. You know, when they saw the Jinx and the Tom Kench come out and they're they're losing kind of to this like front to back AOE team composition from T1. And T1 does have some good plays, especially, you know, Zayas coming into the bottom side and ulting into the bottom side early. Um, you know, I think I think that they they were very active and they got a huge lead on Tagumiyushi, which made it 
much easier to win this game. But Genji was playing the Zaya Rakan. You know, they're playing the Lissandra. It was kind of like pays just peel for yourself and the rest of the team kind of wants to, you know, Lissandra and Rakan want to go into that back line, but they couldn't do it due to, you know, Wukong, Vagar Cage, Tom Kench, whatever you want. Um, and so the real adaptation was them saying, okay, we're just going to kill your front line. No more dive, right? And I think T1 just drafted themselves into a hole where they drafted a bunch of peel uh, against a composition that just really didn't give a shit about diving. Uh, that just, I mean, in a perfect world, they just mount guy ult and just attack one target while it's CC'd until the end of time. Um, and you only need like five seconds with a Kraken Slayer, Jinx, and Tristana both autoing the same target to kill even like a 5,000, 6,000 HP Scion. So I don't know, man. Like, I that was to me. To me, that was the disappointment. And especially that should have been the story because Genji actually did fall behind early and there were some cool plays like the way that Faker and Owner were killing Chovy in the mid lane. Um, but it didn't matter. Like, it just didn't matter that they were behind. Genji was behind early because the once they grouped, it was very, very They were talking like the game was over, though. Like, the way that yeah, like they're yeah. talking is, is like the game is over. So, obviously, I know that, like, you do a show with Wolf, so I'm trying to keep it on the game, but... I, like to me it's just when you're listening to it i just don't agree with what they're saying and if you're going to be color casting i just don't think you can so, be, like i don't know if it's just he doesn't know or he's too t1 biased or he just like I, I i'm not sure what the exact issue is but whatever it is like i think that is like pretty unacceptable level of i casting. think uh, you know sometimes the the perfect storm arises and you know we can go back to the the heavily criticized like frosker and draco's casts from worlds where yeah. I felt that both of those casters who were quite good most of the time both had a bad day at the same time. And like that sucks, especially on a very high profile match. That's kind of what I felt here. But also, I will say that, you know, T1 had such an extraordinary, extraordinary regular season and did win uh, their previous match versus Gen G. So you do have to hype them up. I just feel like they didn't turn the corner fast enough and praise Gen G when it looked like it was going the other direction. So my criticism would really be that they didn't shift gears fast enough because part of it is that you do, I'm just saying this as, as the, from the art of casting, you do want to be T1 biased because mm -hmm. that makes the upset more extraordinary. If, if you can understand what I'm saying, like you have to have that bias, I think coming into this series. And then as the upset unfolds, that's when you start telling the story about why this is so important and impactful. And I just felt that they under delivered on the second part of it. So to me, that was the biggest disappointment. Yeah, that, that, that's, we did it, Chad. I got to talk. Uh, that that was kind of like what I was going to get at. It's like in a championship boxing match. If a round goes equal, the round will go to the champion because that's the person that's in the seat that needs to be unseated. And and also on top of that, the casters did just go on and, and, and have hands-on recent casting experience with Gen G from the series before. So maybe in their head, they're like, well, we just told this story. We just highlighted this. And I, I like what Monty said. We didn't turn the corner fast enough when, hey, no, they are for real. They are winning. They are putting T1 on the back foot. All the things that you brought up, like, hey, this isn't a mistake by T1. This is a, a or, this is a choke. This is a straight up choke. This wasn't an accident. Or it's um, Genji outplaying. I mean, for me, like that addresses part of it. Like maybe that's just the like that addresses, I guess, the cadence of the entire situation. Right. But for me, even in game one, like 
when Chovy has a massive outplay, like how fucking sick was that? Like you can go look at my reaction when I watched it live, when he queues and then the way that he flashed to redirect the queue, like no one is flashing to redirect the queue and get that damage off in order to get the kill. The way that that like, why are they not saying what's happening? Like surely we can at least identify that Chovy just made a massive play. He's one of the most famous players in Korea, one of the best players in Korea, and he fucking smurfed. And like, it's just, there's nothing. There's nothing. Atlas was the best one on that cast. And I felt like he was actually trying to like give himself, give his like casters time for it. it's like, hey, I did the play-by-play. -play, I mentioned it. And then when you go into analysis, it's like they don't even analyze what actually happened. They're just like complimenting basic skill usage. Like, yeah, Zeus pressed E. Q flash redirect on REQ. The angle that he got it on in order to kill, like that is the big play. That is what happened in that play. That is why Chovy got that solo kill. And then the analysis of oh the only thing zeus could have done was to flash early what how was the only thing zeus could have done was to flash early? if he flashed at any point he would have lived he just didn't think that chovy was going to be able to flash himself and redirect that q and get the damage off that gave him lethal yeah well I I, yeah i think that's a, a from a critical eye i think valid points that you've brought up i think monty has also hit hey sometimes in a big moment you hit a cast wrong after you've already set the table as like, hey, these are the champs and they need to be the ones. It happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. it happens to everyone. But uh, I do appreciate the fact that you bring that up, right? And keeps casters on their toes, you know, even at the highest. Well, level. I mean, I agree that it was also underwhelming. Like, it's not, it's not what I think Genji deserved, especially given that we had just seen them play so well against KT. Um. And like, I think, I think that, I mean, I think delight was just fa fabulous throughout the last two best of fives. Um, and I think peanut, even though he was on Wukong, right. Which is arguably the best jungler at the given, you know, the current point in time, he also set up a lot of plays really nicely for his team. Um, so I, I guess I was, to me, it was a story of like, holy shit, look how well Doran is pulling off these engages and holy shit, like, Zayas got so unlucky in game number one on, on some of those plays where he fell behind, like, you know, very slight miscalculations and lethal damage in the top side that let people live when potentially he might have been able to trade back somewhat effectively, and then he basically just got benched off of carries by the end of the series. But when, you know, they needed Faker to step up, he just didn't. And, like, I think there was a huge difference between Trovi and Faker's Lissandra in this series, like, Chovy was making Everfrost, fucking Zonia's, you know, Banshee's Veil, Ari look incredible because what he was doing was setting up for his team, right? He was, they were playing around him, not necessarily dealing the most damage, but being able to set up with a large amount of CC. So it was great. All right. Well, there you have it. Our very tough to swallow uh segment there on the lck cast so thank you don for bringing that one up thank you monty for the uh i guess the context there and of course you know hey we're all colleagues in the workspace criticism and feedback is always welcomed so there we go hopefully that works out for them all right next up we're gonna chat back across the pond to where i've been for the last uh i guess couple a couple of days here in raleigh north carolina for the LCS playoffs in our Galaxy Brain Club discussion. Let's get into it.
So here in North America, we had ourselves the top three teams in FlyQuest and Cloud9, as expected. But the surprise six seed upstart, the great storyline of Golden Guardians in North Carolina to set the stage. It felt really good to be back in what felt like home for me. I went to Virginia Tech, which was like two hours away from Raleigh, North Carolina. I heard people talking like this, and I felt right back at home. It was great to get, <laughs> maybe not southern, southern, but just, I know, it looks yeah, really weird. It sounds really weird. Uh, the delicious North Carolina pulled pork vinegar barbecue. So, no, dude. I Sorry, North fuck, Carolina. Man, just, like, no, 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 no. No, hear, this, hear me out. Uh, it was dry. We went to a lot of places, and like I think we went to three barbecue places. It was dry. It was very, very, no, fuck, very man. North Carolina. I know what the hell I was. I was kind of shit. I was pretty upset. The sauce was good, but the meat was dry. And so it, it wasn't yes. it needed some glazing, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I, that was kind of a bummer. But uh, thank you so much. You to gone to T1 barbecue would have been wet as fuck, man. <laughs> should have been. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where am I going with this? Okay, yeah. Um, thank you to all the fans that came out and said hi. We had a lot of fans come out and chat about supporting uh, Power Spike, Last Free Nation, uh, uh, all of us individually, the three of us as a group together. So all the fans that took the time to stop by, it was awesome. Yeah. There was, there was like, I feel like, I, I mean, I was just thinking, like, I feel like if you did have some T1 barbecue, you'd be very, very, it'd be be very dangerous man like choking on that sounds easy as fuck like there is gonna be something in that barbecue so maybe don't go for the t1 barbecue Thanks also it like it, it looks better on instagram it gets hyped up but when you actually eat it you know yeah maybe a little underwhelming <laughs> <laughs> for uh i think over three hours over the weekend i wasn't able to move just kind of chatting with the fans. So thank you so much for coming to say hi, support. And we had one guy that was like, uh, bought all the products, Monty. We shot the video and sent it on over. So if you guys. Thank you for supporting us via Freeze Pipe. Always delightful. Yeah. So uh, more things coming down in the pipeline in the future. No pun intended. But thank you. All right. With that, let's get to the matches. The big match. Who was going to MSI? Would FlyQuest be able to keep their form going against Golden Guardians? Had the plot armor. And uh, it was a great Shout out to Golden Guardians, Guardians for being the poison pill for viewership for the finals, by the way. <laughs> down 100,000 <laughs> concurrent viewers from last year. The, the finals that nobody wanted. <laughs> yep. I, I, I will say that within the stadium, although you know Cloud9 always dominates with the jerseys and the fandom, for the first time ever, it was a Golden Guardians fan, like a fan fan sentiment. Like they got those one cheers. Oh, I thought you said there was a Golden Guardians fan for the first time ever. <laughs> it was they got the loudest cheers. There was a ton of backing. The uh, fuck you um, theme that Nero had put out. They printed out hats and were oh, that, just was, great. Them out. that like, was great. It was video, all over the place. credit to them. Yeah, it, it was a ton of fun. Um but yeah, by the way, like, why did crazy. they this is just like another like weird ass like riot scheduling thing. So we have it like just, yeah. we have like four, three or four weeks before MSI. Why did they decide to put the finals on Easter Sunday in the South? <laughs> OK, everything was closed in the South. They put it on Easter fucking Sunday. And then like they could have just done it next week. 
Like, why is Riot like this? Why are they like this? Remember, I told you guys the story of Tallahassee, Tennessee in the first MSI, right? So mm. in 2015, you, you'd be like, why is MSI in Tallahassee, Tennessee? Well, when, when, I, when I was, or Tallahassee, Florida, sorry, sorry. I was there. I know where it is. <laughs> so anyway, Tallahassee in Florida. So why is it there? So I was told by Riot that um, if you like draw a circle around Tallahassee in Florida in the panhandle, it's like there are, uh, there's a huge amount of, it was like a, within a three hour drive, there were, you know, tons of their player base because it's all these colleges, right? Yeah. Makes sense. So we, we, I fly to Tallahassee and I'm like, wow, there's going to be a lot of college kids here. I get there. There's nobody fucking there. And I'm like, wait, what happened? They're like, oh, um, the school year ended. I was like, what? Why did you guys schedule a tournament after the fucking school year ended if the whole point was to have all these college kids? And then we get to, you know, this event and the stadium's like half empty for most of it. It just feels like the same shit. It's like, should we schedule something in Raleigh, North Carolina? Well, we do have some time before MSI. Should we uh, Should we maybe delay it? No, Easter Sunday in the South. That's when it is. That's when everybody's going to be watching this tournament. And they are so self-sabotaging. I, I just don't understand. It's the biggest day in the Christian calendar. I went to church. <laughs> it's literally it the most important holiday in Christianity. I mean, yeah. Also, like they did the week break for LEC. Like yeah. they did a week break for LEC. So they could have just done a week break for LEC and LCS because the whole thing is that that was like a riot like holiday or something. Or that was like a riot like week off. So somehow LEC did, didn't like LEC had no play for a week, but then LCS couldn't have no play for a week. And then if you look at previous seasons, they used to do one week after the regular season before playoffs. So they used to have a week break, but then now they just don't do it at all. So like, I don't even know what, like how they decide on what they're going to do with their, with their scheduling, like why it changes every year. Like you think that they would at least come to like some conclusions as to what, what is best. So, so, you know, again, part of the LCS having uh great content that came out, a, a, what we think was a solid split for the LCS. It's because there's a lot of new, decision makers in control of the LCS and probably those learning lessons just went by the wayside and no one really thought about that because I guess people don't go to church like I was like this is tough I will say again despite it being Easter tons of fans came out we heard that the whole lower bowl was sold out um and it didn't feel like it stopped a ton it was just all it, it could have been even more possibly and a lot of the uh surrounding restaurants and, and and businesses were just closed they were just closed early or closed afterwards okay, so. okay Dion. i know you're excited when the the lower bowl sells out but <laughs> i do have to transition this into if you like a full bowl then perhaps you should go get a freeze pipe before april 20th guys uh now is a great time to go ahead and do that uh, I prefer my bowls full instead of half full like Degon. And if you have a full bowl, it will actually chill your 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 full bowl by over 300 degrees if you pop that glycerin chamber into the freezer an hour before you smoke. So if you like that, you can go to www.thefreezepipe.com, use code LFN, and then you'll get 10% off your entire order. There's still 10 days left as of the recording of this to get your freeze pipe. Thank you for the transition, Egon. That was very helpful. That was pretty good transition, God. Every now and then, Monty has to come back and remind us. I was watching <laughs> him 
years ago do this shit so now yeah yeah, yeah. he still got it he still got it everyone he still got it <laughs> we, we do the best sponsor reads here on last Nation. what can i say and you guys do a great job of supporting us so thank you thank um, you guys let's get into it all right uh three two fly quest over golden guardians everyone's gonna point to Probably a historic moment in the new generation of the LCS game for Malphite Alt, Licorice silencing the the haters. You know, we we can go there. Let's where what stood out to you, Dom, about this series with Golden Guardians of FlyQuest in that uh I guess lower bracket lower finals. The thing that stood out the most to me was that Spico looked extremely nervous. I think this is his first arena that he's ever played in. And, you know, a lot of people that are playing in the newer LCS era, I mean, they just right, don't I guess get during to go the COVID to... era. He was in playoffs and uh, without yeah, the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I believe this is Spika's first stadium that he's ever played in. Um, and it looked like he was super nervous. I mean, he was way worse than what I expected. Um, I mean, it just felt like he was very lost in a lot of the games. The plays that he went for just reeked of nerves, like that Vi Q-Ult at the end of uh, game number two, I believe, where they just like instantly fucking lost the game. I thought that was weird. Um, no one wants to play against, uh, play around Prince on FlyQuest, even though he's mega strong and he can carry these games. Like just, they all hate him for some reason. Um, like you have literally Impact, Spica, and Winsome on three like melee frontline tanks trying to engage by themselves where Prince is nowhere close to them when he's like five zero, he's having to like flash walls on jinx just to get in position to hit anyone. So I, I thought it was, it was a very rough series from, uh, from FlyQuest. And they just look like your standard import team. I mean, it sucks to say they, they reminded me a lot of like the TL team that I played on where we just looked like we're just playing solo queue out there. Like when you rewatch the fucking games, it was like there's just a huge disconnect between like the imports and like the players that are like, you know, that are NA slash have green cards, whatever. So it just it was like what you'd normally expect from an import team where they start out really strong. The players all look very good and then they just end up having no synergy. They didn't improve at all. Like I think that you have to criticize coaching staff at some level because he was, <laughs> I mean, they do have a rating world champion. coach. Yeah. <laughs> they do, but he wasn't able to put it together. Like it didn't feel like they got better at anything throughout the entire split. If anything, they got worse over the course I, of the split. I think the last two games were just so fucking painful for me. Um, the way they lost game four by oh. like, you know, trying to use a stolen Malphite ult on a Zaya who has ult up and then literally impact like who did i think he ulted river into a cluster of them so that the Malka or the malphite rakan ult combo basically just one shot their entire composition it was just horrible and then that chained into me having a large amount of hope due to their early game plan around the elise you know this is a this is a kind of a set play in game five that we've seen t1 do a lot of the time. Um, and then they added the Scion into the mix. And like, you have to know that you're trading, you know, you're trading power basically over to the Fiora in the top side in order to capitalize on this dive early. And I'm not sure what happened or why the wave state wasn't set up properly for them to dive at the correct time. But then it got delayed, which then allowed 
them to react in the bot side, get the TP off, and then it just turned into a complete fucking disaster. And it's just, it was, that was brutal to watch. That was really fucking sad. So like the end of game four into the start of game five were some of the most sad NA plays I've seen in a long time. And I mean, you don't deserve to win when you play like that. One thing that got brought up um, in, in post-game interviews, I, I overheard it, so let me let me think who was, who was doing the interview. Uh, it was Esports Illustrated. I believe it was Sage Datooine, so I want to make sure I got that right. I uh, was chatting with Spica before I did my interview with Winsome. Spica saying, hey, you know, like, maybe there's times where I could be less emotional uh, during games, during swings of the game, which I think is a pretty I mean, it was, it was compounded say, like, by the fact that he just, like, fa- fail flashed and died at Oh my god, that, that game exactly. five that, that actually gave me insane pain. I don't know how you reacted to it, Dom. Yeah, it was it was tough to watch because it I mean, I want to see teams playing both well. You know, like I right? want to see them playing at their limit and the better team winning and just like both playing towards their strengths, but it just felt like such a such an underwhelming series from FlyQuest. And then they just had so many angles to win. It just felt like Prince just it was so good in a lot of the games, and they have such an advantage there, and they're just not able to play around him. So I just feel strange watching it because it's almost like if if you could just go into the game and just say a couple sentences, the team would win. Like if the coach could just be like, hey, by the way, check Prince items. Look at how he's playing. He's really fucking good. Like did I might remember like, you know, he's Korean, by the way, like we got him last split. He was like one of the best of the world. Like if you just play around him, the other AD is stick say like you could win. They would just win the, the series. But I don't know. They just uh, it was just incredible to watch the collapse i mean vicla also had a, a pretty bad series sure. um so maybe that's why they stopped trusting prince they're like fuck bro imports suck what the hell is going on so, like, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm re-watching the start of this game now and winsome and prince actually just they don't zone out they are autoing the wave they like they literally just like they'd screw up their own wave state yep i i yeah I just don't understand how you can have this set play and then make these mistakes. I mean, lack of practice. That that could be Maybe. one. I mean, Winsome, Winsome is the one. Winsome was the chosen one, right? I mean, everyone was asking, please bring back Winsome. Why are we still playing through Ayla? Please put him back in. Yeah, we were this is eight probably, and one. This is this is a, probably a huge issue that they had because Golden Guardian said they didn't scrim, right? Like when you're traveling like this, you do not get quality scrims. Like I can tell you yeah, from yeah, experience yeah. because you have There's one day that you're traveling scrim. and then you get there and it's like, who are you going to fucking scrim? Like the other teams that are there or you get some like shitty online scrims first because all the other major region teams are gone. So maybe you get a scrim versus like a fucking LLA team or something if they're still in season or you play an academy team. It's just you get such well, bad quality scrims and they're super uncomfortable because you're scrimming from like a different location like you don't know if the setup's even going to be good from riot at, at these events i mean i hope to god at this point it is but a lot of times you're just backstage with like five pcs and it's it's super weird to to try to practice so i wonder how many scrims they got with winsome before they actually played with him on stage yeah meanwhile cloud nine days. i mean now that we now we know because jack came out publicly and said that cloud nine's you know, academy team had been doing very well against and getting a lot of LCS scrims. And also they've been using the last two years, their academy team to kind of do in-house scrims with the LCS teams. We knew that was a big part of LS's plan. And that part of the plan was maintained throughout last year and, and into this year, it seems. 
And so at least they, pro Cloud9 probably had pretty good scrims. They were just scrimming internally leading up into the finals. Yeah. I mean, it's really OP to have a good academy team at, at times like this. So when it comes to, I guess, closing this chapter on this FlyQuest squad, uh, obviously missing out on MSI. Potential questions on what the path forward is, right? Coach Song still can't get over the damn North American hump. He can go to Worlds. He can go win Worlds, be a world champion. He can win just, Worlds with DRX, but he, he can't. Can get the most I, influx I, I, money what, this the, season. It, it's, it's the lower the expectations, the higher Coach Song's performance. That's it. So they, FlyQuest clearly just needs to get a bunch of bums into their roster, and then they'll win an A. Or, yep. you know, yeah, FlyQuest, you're looking to make some money back, so I'm no immortals, and then watch him go to Worlds, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what do we, how do we encapsulate this uh, FlyQuest Look, season? I, I think that they had a really rough season because um, here's the unfortunate reality is that people are like, oh, put Winsome back in. There must have been reasons why they took Winsome out. It's not that they weren't, you know, they, they had tested this Isla Winsome thing in scrims, obviously. I think the biggest disappointment is that Isla's visa got delayed. So they started playing with Winsome and then they replaced him. And unfortunately, the top performing, most consistent player, arguable, you know, second MVP candidate in the entire league was their AD carry, who's going to be affected the most by the constant support swapping. So I think this team still can be good. I think Spica underperformed pretty massively against Golden Guardians, but Maybe that won't happen next time. I did think he was pretty good throughout the rest of the regular split. And they just need to find a support player that will work better with Prince. So I think that they need to make a change of support. Obviously, I've said this before, but Core JJ is probably the biggest candidate. I don't know if Team Liquid is wanting to pay for him at the current time. They just let go of Mar and their coach and seem to have scrapped the, the League of Legends project for this year. So if they are in cost-cutting mode, maybe it's time to try and get core JJ on this roster and make a serious run at worlds. What do you think, uh, Dom, both of the end of the season here for FlyQuest and also the core JJ thing. Let's let's, yeah, I mean, like let's, I said before, I think the, fire under it. <laughs> the, the biggest issue is that they, they showed no improvement. They showed, they showed, <laughs> they showed negative improvement over the course of the split. It was just crazy to see how how they came in and they were all playing well and then they just weren't able to get it together. That's really rough. Vickless performance is extremely questionable. Um, I ended up being wrong on him. I thought he'd be pretty decent. I know Forrest on Twitter was talking about how he was a complete fraud, like Vickla was going to just run it down in North America and that he just sucks at the game. And I didn't believe it. I was like, no, nah, I think he'll do well. I thought he would be similar to how Gory was. Um, or MNS. I thought that they would be just like three people kind of like stomping the, the league, but... Vicklo just became an NA mid laner. Like there was nothing that he was playing super well by the end. Um, and then just the disconnect between players was really weird. Uh, so I don't know where you go from there. Core JJ angle. I don't think core has been playing amazingly. Um, no, I just recently. think he can be better on a better team. That's it. I mean, I think that maybe, I mean, I don't know if he could be mechanically better on a better team. Maybe he can <laughs> fix some of the disconnect of the team. I'm not sure because he's not able to do that even when he has five Korean speaking players, which was the whole idea of this. All roster. right. All right. But I think some of those players are bad. I think if you if you hand him a player like Impact that he's worked with in the past, you know, this could be an di entirely different story on FlyQuest. I mean, it doesn't seem like it was it was just because his like his players were bad. That was a separate uh, 
That was a separate issue than the fact that they consistently made wrong decisions. Where like I don't know if I like it's not like they were making the right decisions and people just sucked. It was that they were making the wrong decisions, which is what I would expect him to have a, a huge part of it, right? Like I would think that the two people that would be making most of the calls on this team would be Pioshik and Core JJ, right? Support and jungle position, the fact that they are like the most veteran players, they are the world champions on this team. I thought that that's where their like macro would come from. That's where their decision making would come from. And it just wasn't there at all for, for TL. So I don't know if I want to see Core I... JJ get like a better opportunity. I feel like he hasn't proved himself in a long time at this point. I'm not sure anybody can stop Summit from doing what Summit wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's for Summit. And also, also, TL was I don't think I don't think God can stop Summit from doing what Summit wants to do, which well, is why Summit is no longer on Cloud Nine. So, I don't know. Also, also, TL consistently got early leads. Can you imagine just being like, "Here, Prince, yeah," but that's that's a bigger issue because if you consistently have early early leads, you should be able to close out some of these games. But the way that they would close out games was really weird, and I seriously doubt that. Like, number one, Summit, like, his inting would come at different points in the game, but the person that was inting most of the late games was Pioshek, right? Like, he was the one that was just randomly caught in the jungle. They would get Baron, like, every game, then Pioshek would get caught in the jungle, and then they would stall out an extra five minutes, and then the next Baron, the enemy team would be kind of strong, and then they would lose the next Baron fight. So, when I'm watching, like, a lot of these games, I just, I feel like Pioshek is not just walking into the whole enemy jungle, and CoreJJ is like, yeah, we can't, like, control that yet. We need to push mid and top, and then we can, like, go for deep vision, and Pioshek is like... Fuck you, Core JJ. I don't want to listen to anything you say. And he just goes there and dies anyway. He's like, yeah, we're losing this one. So to me, I just don't, I don't buy that Pioshek is like so bad and also so defiant that he will go against obvious calls that are being made just to lose the game on purpose. I don't know, man. Watched a lot of Pioshek. I watched a lot of LCK Pioshek games. I, I'm not entirely convinced that I, I didn't feel like Pioshek was like that in LCK. Like when I was watching Pioshek in LCK, I thought that he would have more of like the disastrous early games. Whereas like in in LCS, it felt like he had really good early games, but like his mid to late game was bad. So I thought that he be, he became a different player in, in LCS. Like his early game was good. His late game was bad. It's a quick meta conversation, like just comment. Just because I like rewarding our fans that come watch us live. You know, they, they take away time out of their day to watch us at... Uh, post LEC hours on Monday. Uh, Sunfade says, The thing I love most about this show is the dirty, hot tension between Dom and Monty when they can't agree. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what makes it entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, FlyQuest, done and dusted. Maybe roster moves. Maybe they, hopefully, they figured out. We know they got a gem in Prince. Um, Golden Guardians continue on. And in the finals, I thought a pretty. I always comment on this pretty straightforward opening ceremony. I, you, I'm not sure if you guys could see it, but like there was meteors that fell from the stadium, like screens and then fireworks shot off in that direction. It, it looked super cool. And it reminded me of, I'm not sure if you remember this one, Monty, I think it was Olympus winter, winter 2012 Olympus. It was like, it was just a really hype ceremony that went straight in. Like, yeah, yeah I don't, no, I know I exactly. Remember. I was my, it was my first. Uh, it was my first final. Yeah, um, it, that was it. Was it was a really cool opening ceremony. I liked it, and I felt like once they did the opening parts and things looked good, we got straight to the action, and I got got goosebumps ready to play. It was it was it was nice. So once we got in, Cloud Nine felt like they weren't ready to play. Golden Guardians punched them straight in the mouth and uh, took an early lead in that uh, first game. 
They looked uh, still primed to go in second game and won the second game after throwing the first game. But then Cloud9 turned on and just did not look back at all. Um, a 3-1 series here for Cloud9. Another championship of the cabinet for Jack and the boys. The By the way, place. fucking nephews out there who are all being like, oh, Cloud9 is just, why, why would they not go with LS? Why would they just double down on their own expectations and their own systems? Well, guys, how's that going for you? They got... They got two trophies ever since they went back to that back-to-back -back titles, including one that we just didn't even think they were going to get at all in the summer of last year. That one was a fucking surprise. Then they changed their roster again. Then they benched their mid laner halfway through this split, brought in another mid laner, and they still won the title. Almost like Cloud9 knows what they're doing. And to all of you absolute cretins out there who have talked to me and said, well, Monty, it was never about winning domestically. It was about winning internationally. Guys, you're fucking deluded. Like, NA's not going to win internationally, okay? It's only about winning domestically. That's the only thing that fucking matters to these teams. Like, they're not good. I don't know how many more years we have to go through this. But also, Cloud9 was the first team to beat a Korean team in a best of five. And they're the only uh, NA team to ever make semifinals. So they even have that advantage when it comes to Worlds. Like, I don't know what you guys fucking want, Okay. But clearly, it was the right idea for Jack to say, hey, this situation isn't working for me. I'm going to go with what I know works because it's worked now twice in a row. Two different coaches also winning that one with Max Waldo moving on this split and then bringing back Mithy, who's also been part of the organization before, part of the systems. So, um, yeah, I think all solid, fair, fair points. All fair points there by... Monty, what do you make of this series here, Monty? 3-1, Cloud9 over Golden Guardians. Look, I, I think once they, they switched off to trying to play more of an early game and not, you know, come back from a deficit, and they started to play with LeBlanc from MS. Look, I don't think MS was, you know, particularly I he good. really bad in the series. Yeah. Like, I don't know why, why people were trying to, like, hype. Like, this was a bad series from MS. Surely. Um, but I think, like, once they gave him kind of, the safety and and more lame dominance of LeBlanc. So he would stop kind of randomly dying. Uh, that was a big part of it. Putting Blabber, I think, on early game junglers. I like the swap to the Poppy uh, towards the end of the series. But honestly, a lot of this was Fudge. Like if we're being if we're being real, like Fudge was the one who brought them back on the Olaf in the first game of the series. Um, I thought his Renekton was a great pickup in the third game of the series and the way they built him more for the the split push into Kennen. Um, I think this was a good read uh, of just trying to prioritize more early game, even though they did engineer a comeback victory in game number one, which I think can sometimes give you false information. But once they figured out that Golden Guardians wasn't going to be able to hold it together in the late game and they were able to accrue these early leads, it looked pretty smooth sailing for Cloud9. I think it was a very one-sided final in the end. Yeah. It was, it was a hard final for me to watch personally. I felt like C9 was choking as hard as possible at the beginning of the the series like the two the, the, the 4v4 in game number two was crazy like how do you take a 4v4 there when wukong is pre-6 and you have a melee mid laner and you have sejuani which is just better in those types of like fights where you can get a bunch of stacks off on people with double melees pre-6 how are you gonna lose that fight so hard i mean mns r1's the clone then like misses a Q, then R2s just to get in range because he was walking in the wrong direction, then throws his E into the fucking wall and then like doesn't have a shroud and isn't able to kill anyone. It just felt very, very strange to watch. So I almost wanted Golden Guardians to win 
after how the first two games looked because I felt like C9 doesn't like that's just not a viable way to to play internationally. You're going to get fucking piss stomped by the teams that are going to MSI. T1, Genji, like yeah. if you give that type of lead to G2, if you give that type of fucking lead to JDG, they will shit on you. They will stomp you into the fucking floor. Um, so it wasn't a very satisfying finals. I know that Blabber's like, oh, I feel like NA is going to do something this year. And no. I would like to believe that. But <laughs> I felt like last year they were looking better um, for international play. Like when I saw the 3-0 in finals last year, I thought that was significantly more convincing. And just the way that they were playing the game, I thought was pretty interesting. They had good champ pools and it felt like going into worlds they were playing more of the meta where now i'm like if you're gonna play this least renekton and not even play that insane early game and the leblanc and have these random deaths where you just w forward and they just fucking hit you with a knight from the spell book and w and auto attack once and that's just a kill i just don't think this is gonna fly i i feel like this is uh it's a pretty bad look for c9 finals even though they did end up winning i mean i think it's also like if you just shadow box teams in in your mind like them trying to get a 2v2 mid jungle advantage against t1 is just that is not happening like you cannot take these skirmishes against t1 you have to be very cautious about the engagements that you take and i think that was the big part big a big part of success to get uh for gen g was that they were kind of slow and deliberate and that when t1 does things like try and force fights around the Baron, unlike KT in the previous series in game five against C1, like Genji didn't lose their head. They like still played kind of a slow roll up to the Baron, you know, were willing to potentially give it up and then clean up the fight afterwards, which is exactly what I said KT should have done in that game five that they played against T1. Um, but if you opt into these engagements against a team like T1 or a team like JDG, you are going to get absolutely clapped. Um, yep. You You really... You really just can't like play the skill check against these guys. And while that works in NA, that's what makes me concerned about C9's international. But they football. were even losing the skill check to Golden Guardians most of the time <laughs> as well. So that's the problem. Yeah, the early that, like, game, that's true. <laughs> the skill check wasn't even working versus Golden Guardians. And I think Golden yeah. Guardians, like they like River, I thought played really well. I thought he came came through and actually performed. Um, I think Linkers had a bad finals. Uh Six, they had some good games, some not so good games. But just like you look at the f the first five minutes of game number one for C9, and it's like, so Thresh just walked, like, watch how Sven that plays Thresh. That was so bad. That was so painful. I was yelling, Flash, it's please, like a Flash, first, you fucked up, Flash. It's like, it's like a first-time Thresh. You lost to you lost to Q start Rakan. You got solo killed by Q start Rakan level one. It's actually unbelievable that that's... And then you won the game. Like, you're never winning that game versus, versus another Rakan. Think about the Rakans you're playing into. You're playing against <laughs> Karia Rakan. You're playing against Delight Rakan. You're playing against <laughs> Missing Rakan. Like, you're playing against these motherfuckers on Rakan. These motherfuckers are absolutely cracked. These are some of the best supports in the entire fucking world. <laughs> it's not going to fly. It's not going to fly. They, and and I, know, I know that Fudge in the interview said, oh, we're more comfortable with the meta. But it's like... They were comfortable with the meta when they won finals. Like the difference is when you're actually at MSI and you go start scrimming these teams and you're getting your fucking ass beat and scrims, you're losing with everything you play. How comfortable with, with the meta are you then? When you're in that situation, how comfortable are you with the meta? So, it, so to be fair, it to was be fair. not good. But to be fair, chatting with the Cloud9 guys afterwards, they know, they knew. They knew that what they did wasn't good enough. Like you, you heard Sven in the interview afterwards, like you know, on stage, he's like, "Sorry, I wasn't familiar with their game." He said he played fine. Played. 
He no, he said he didn't play well. He said he didn't play well. He said like it was fine, and my teammates carried me. He knows. He he, okay. he knew. Uh, I have a sit down interview with Fudge. I'll post this one tomorrow, tomorrow morning, um, on my channel. He goes into it. He's like, that was not good. We know we will get shit on, but also, it's hard to practice when everyone else isn't as good. Like it is hard. I am literally watching bods and then just uh having to guess. Yeah, but it's. And survive. Like, uh, what's weird is right. So that's what they say when they're domestically, and then when they go to international, it's like, oh, when you're losing so many scrims, then it's really hard to improve because you're just losing on everything. So your confidence destroy is destroyed, and you don't know what's good. So it's like, so then how do you ever get better? Then that's what I, I'd understand. imagine that now. I'd imagine that those guys have enough experience that they realize, okay, dealing with the mentality of losing a lot is gonna be its own thing but also we're learning so much like that is the feeling i got from fudge and you look at that roster other than mns right mns cried and the fans like hammed it up for him but zven was pretty muted uh budge was very muted you know blabber i thought fudge played covered. well i thought fudge played really well it seemed like he was clutch i thought that he was he was always stable in all the games i thought that fudge was was the best player on the team yep. this for um, sure and i also think blabber played like blabber decently fine. For sure, but he played, I, he played decently saying, too good. The the ones that didn't perform as well realized it, except MS, who's new, who's new, and so he is gonna feel like, okay, cool, this is my moment. Last year, I really thought I was gonna retire. Last year, I thought I wasn't gonna. I, who would have dreamt of being on Cloud Nine? I think that moment will sweep you up, make you feel like it's bigger than the moment. But the rest of the organization understands almost like work's not done. Are they proud of it? Sure. They're happy with the fans that showed oh, up. I, this is shit. making, it made me so sick. The job not done. Oh, you're Kobe now? Like, Cody Cardi, like, Stick say is Kobe. He will, what the fuck? I, could, I couldn't take it seriously. I couldn't take it seriously. <laughs> on, on the flip side, though, because now we've talked a lot about FlyQuest. We've talked a lot about Cloud9. Golden Guardians has been, like, this happy story in the middle. Like, I do want to spend a little bit of time on them, uh, both their run, to you know from six to now second and also now getting to play internationally with this roster and one tweet that you put out dom was was with licorice it was i don't think i've ever seen this much growth from a top laner ever like and from beginning yeah to but that's more like that's how i worded it to not get completely canceled but it's more like he was so horribly Horrible. bad <laughs> yeah he was like he was like he went from being like a like again he went from being the worst top laner in the league by far to like uh okay top laner who's worse than him if you say armut i'm leaving the call <laughs> uh uh a fucking what's his name summit summit was no hell no, no. He fucking, did you see the series games, that they played bro. he was running games yeah after he fucking I mean. he just summit versus licorice like uh, that was the fucking grogus game where he built row where he was got like solo killed four times man like there's no way i yeah i don't know. i i, I, I do think uh, i mean unfortunately licorice was not particularly great in the finals after i thought he had a pretty good series against FlyQuest. Yep. um but i mean this level of inconsistency in the top lane is is a pretty large issue for them like it, it, that can't be the reason well, why the thing, they win or let me put it this way at, on the at the international stage that cannot be the difference between them winning or losing games because licorice's best performance is not good enough against the tops that he's going to be facing internationally 
look, we saw what happened when Fudge, who's a better player than Licorice all around, tried to play Fiora into the best tops in the world. We saw him play Fiora. <laughs> we saw him try to play like Fiora against fucking yeah. like Zeus and 369 and or it yeah. wasn't 369, it was Zeus. And then it was even Flandre who dicked him, didn't he? Flandre. Like, I mean, come yeah, on, Flandre. man. He, it, it was just... He brings it up it in the interview. Almost like self-interviewed, man. It was a great interview, just basically answering all the questions. I am, I am happy that he turned his performance around because I think he's a, a great guy. But, like, I'm not sure Golden Guardians is really, like, the team. When, when, when the choice was send FlyQuest or send Golden Guardians to London, I still would much rather see FlyQuest in London. Sure, but they didn't earn it. So at what point do we change the narrative of this team? Like, at what point are they like, hey, they're second best. Hey, they're they're actually better CLG. The sum of the parts were even better because you got Gorian River in the mid lane. Sticks a revival, who he's been there. He's the stabilizing force. Like, I don't... At what point are do we change the narrative here that, hey, this isn't just a shitter team that outlasted everyone else. They are a good team. Good team by what it? metric? By finishing second place, by going to MSI, by like, like not letting the moment of being in I mean, the stadium, so good like team means, I mean, they're a good team for like, I guess, NA standards at this point in this NA is, history. The, the, here's, the, here's, why, here's why the disappointment sets in. Because this is the ceiling. This is the ceiling. We are experiencing the ceiling. There is no more hope beyond this level, right? Which is why when I say FlyQuest, I know FlyQuest can be better than that. In a theoretical universe, yeah. there isn't a universe because this team overperformed to such a degree, which is great for them, but it's not going to be a better team in the future. It's like it, it's like it's like what we were saying with DRX. It's like we don't want DRX to stay together after winning worlds because that was the ceiling. That was it. Like the, the, the yeah. regression was coming. No one wanted to see more of it. I don't want to see more of Golden Guardians because this was the peak. We're standing at the fucking top of the mountain. Yeah, just one oh. of those things when you start like thinking about international, right? You start looking at the other teams and you start looking at teams that are eliminated, right? And think about how far down you have to go in LPL before you start feeling like Golden Guardians is a better team. Like Ultra Prime, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's it's actually like, I mean, with how OMG, like we watched OMG series, like we got to see OMG playing. They're, they're a fourth seed from LPL. They're a fourth seed from LPL that was overperforming. It would be unspeakable what would happen in a best of five between OMG and Golden Guardians right now. <laughs> Completely unspeakable. Well, we get to see a little bit more of Golden Guardians in the future. It was a very good story. And whether you like it or not, it's not done yet. They, they get to continue on for MSI. For Spring Split, it was. All right. That was a very, very long Galaxy Brain Club on LCS. I think we had a lot of things to hit on. Uh, but thanks for diving into that one. Up next, two more segments to go in today's episode. We got some high-key, low-key, no-key on players and teams that have exceeded playoff expectations this split, or exceeded expectations this split. So let's get into it. We got the whole world. The only podcast that covers global League of Legends. Let's get into it. Our overperformers and underperformers, uh, high-key and low-key. Let's get into it. All right, Monty, let's start with you. A no-key player or team that exceeded expectations this split that you're not excited about. <laughs> Golden Guardians, for all the reasons all I right. just stated. Like, <laughs> they did. I, I, I'm not trying to shit on Golden Guardians. Like, I legitimately am, I am thrilled for this team. 
Okay. Like, I think that they have done a very good job on what we know are low budgets um, year after year, scraping together rosters, obviously some with more success than others. The core of their team actually became LCS champions once they switched over to 100 Thieves. Yeah, which they let go. You know, which just shows it, well, their they intention. had they had to because of COVID and budgets like that. Uh, was, that's just I guess reality. they had to because they what who was the invest? Oh, it was Golden Guardian. Yeah, Golden Golden Guardian. Wait, is that Golden State? Well, yeah, I guess they just yeah. didn't have any. There was no money in that pipeline <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, there was no money for Golden Guardians. We can at least know that, right? But I think this team has at least put together rosters that have punched above their weight on average for a long time right now it was fun to see them in the final but as i just said they've peaked you know there isn't there's no this is the best it's going to be for golden guardians like they're not gonna there is no cinderella this was the cinderella story guys they are a pumpkin now we saw them be a pumpkin in the finals and the pumpkin's gonna rot at msi so unless you're you know a fan of snuff films maybe don't watch those games because <laughs> they are going to be absolutely brutal uh, when it comes to them playing against top teams, there isn't a way for them to do well, unfortunately. Um, there's, there's a good one there for you fans at home stuff films. That was a good one, Monty. Um, who you, who's your no key expectations, uh, that, uh, about playoffs here, Dom about playoffs or about, I guess, I guess, year. Against do you pick any year? Uh, no key expectations. Are we limited to just LCS? No, no, no. no. A, a player or team that overperformed that you're still not excited about. There you go. A player team that overperformed that I'm still not excited about. I guess Hundred Thieves. Ooh, like I think that they overperformed towards the end. They got a couple things together. We'll see what happens when they change Bjergsen. But I'm, I don't know. I just feel like the way that they ended up winning is just not something that gives me hope for the future. Mm. player team i mean it has to be fly quest right fly quest they for me it was the fact that they just didn't meet expectations i think that just was so that is the most disappointing one in in my opinion or yeah i, I think it's fly quest i think fly quest is just so disappointing there and they're disappointed too but it didn't really change the fact that they didn't meet their expectations and you know all the hype all the accolades it, it leads to nothing there for them and hopefully they're able to rebuild let's go uh low-key a low-key player team that performed over expectations that you are still not excited about or that you well, are i'm still excited. a little excited about a, a little, little excited, excited about excited. yeah monty go <laughs> ahead uh i think it 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 has to be bds um I'm just impressed by the, the fundamentals on this team, right? And I didn't think that this group of players would be able to gel to this level. And that even though I always thought Crownshot was an LEC caliber player and was being denied his shot last year, I didn't think he would be this good. And granted, it has come at, you know, there's there's some asterisks such as Zeri is really fucking strong again right now. And many players can capitalize on that Zeri performance. And he is one of them that is riding the wave. Uh, as it were, but I think I think BDS obviously they've massively overperformed given how tragic they were in the summer split of last year, and it's a credit to their coaching staff for coming together and being able to put together a team that can actually do some, you know, solid macro. So I, I think that I am I don't know how high their ceiling is in the same way that you know Golden Guardians. I I probably don't want them representing Europe at at MSI. 
but I'm a little excited for them, and they've had a significantly better year than anyone would have anticipated. How about you, Dom? Yeah, I guess uh, for me, it would be a team like BLG. I think I'm a little bit excited for BLG. I think that they were like pretty bad at points, so they feel like they're pretty streaky with and confidence based. Also, Bin is like he is either the best or he's just hard to watch. I mean, the the joke that I always make is that Bin is who the shy fans think the shy is. Where like he's coin flip, like he'll run it down at fucking points. He'll also be like the best at other points. That's who Bin is at, at some points. But I, I mean, what hypes me up is the ceiling, but the, I know the floor could be low. So that's why I'm tempering my expectations. Along those lines for me, it's Vitality. Uh, I think Vitality is another one of those teams, especially after what we saw today. The Bow Show can turn online, and it is one of the greatest things we see all across Europe in the Western world. But can this super team maintain it all for at least, you know, a title or, you know, a run at MSI? That's what I want to see. But the 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 ceiling is 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 there and it's very exciting. Uh all right. And then a player or team that surpassed expectations that you are still excited about. High key excited about. Monty, you first. Gotta be Gen G. God, it's it's got to be Gen G, right? Like yeah. this is a team that is absolutely capable of winning an international tournament, even though they disappointed at Worlds. Nobody would have ever thought that they would win this split, especially after losing Ruler and Lehenz in their on the show who said they could win this split. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, they yes. Once we saw it, but I mean, their first outing against T1 in the first match of the season, they were absolutely clapped by T1. Um, you know, they they played some completely close reasonable, right? <laughs> Given the fact that it was the first series of the fucking split, and right. then it and was they made also a roster like, change yes. with a rookie, and like, yeah, 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 yeah. all okay. rushed it together. This, these were all the caveats we made at the and time. And they should have won the second meeting, but then Peanut lost his mind. <laughs> And then, and then he made Chovy lost, he, but he made Chovy <laughs> lose his mind. That's the key distinction to make. Um, so I, I think, I think like Genji, this was not, this was not the expectation. Like when, when we saw like Deft join D plus with Kana, right? When, when we saw T1's roster stick together, these were probably the teams that had the highest expectations so for them to come back in these playoffs despite t1's absolutely spectacular season lose to t you know lose in those playoffs and then come back and win win the final and win the lower bracket and the grand finals in the dominating fashion that they did and also all of those fucking haters who are like chovy doesn't know how to macro <laughs> well pretty sure chovy's macro looked a lot better than fakers in that series motherfuckers also played you know the same champions with similar builds to a, a much higher level uh though i mean we at chovy's a choker we have to blow all you motherfuckers are blown out mm -hmm. right now there is nope. no more of this garbage that i want to hear from you chovy's not sitting in the side lane chovy is fucking making plays in all of these level fights. four uh, why like why do you not why are you guys so bad at looking at where chovy is on the map and seeing that he's making plays or when when bad things happen, 
that he literally couldn't be there. It wasn't possible. His teammates are fucking it up for him. Look at Delight. Made some God-tier plays. The setups from Gen G in this playoffs were beautiful. They were creating awesome picks and vision traps constantly within these games. They were creating teams, like team comps that were countering their opponent's play styles. They played differently against uh, 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 against uh, KT compared to how they played against T1. And they switched those styles to in 24 hours. Like, I don't know what you want from Gen G guys. Like, you should be very excited about this team. They have a huge diversity in terms of the play style that they play. I love their macro style. Hell yes, Gen G, very excited. Dom, what you got? Who do you think? <laughs> All right, good. I was like, I was worried. I was like, do I have to pick them? <laughs> yeah, OMG. I mean, they gotta be my they, they gotta be my my high key excited. I mean, I have been excited about this team for a while, but the consistent growth that we talked about earlier is just so impressive to watch. And now seeing the extra the extra way that the extra gear they can go into with PP God, the fact that they can actually get wins in important series in big matches versus good teams on champions like Lulu, they, they used to that used to just be an auto loss. They have enough in their in their champion pools now to be effective, and you can't ban them out now that like Cream is able to play. Yone at a super high level, Silas, Akali, and Ari. You can't ban him out. He's just extremely proficient. He also has other picks that are not viable right now that he's a fucking absolute beast at. If we get into a fucking Yasuo meta or Kiana meta, oh my god, this guy's gonna fucking pop off. You have Shanji, who obviously is probably the most stable part of this team. He's consistently good. His Kasante is otherworldly. Um, and just when you look at how the team plays, they've gotten so much smarter. So they used to just be my stupid ass team where they would only fight. And if they would lose, it was just over, but now they can actually come back into games. So, I mean, I think this performance is, is crazy. A team like them getting as far as they did makes no sense. And like, when you look at other teams that end up improving, normally they have some major, major roster changes. These guys just, they grinded it from the beginning. They, I, I was a fan of them when they were like an 11th place team, not even making playoffs. Getting top four in LPL is extremely fucking hard. You have to go through teams like TES with multiple world champions on the roster. With Rookie, the second best player of all time, on the fucking roster. You have to get through teams like that. LNG, think about how good LNG was for the, for the entire split. They were have 13 the MVP. And uh, have the MVP of the league. Yeah, they have the MVP. They were 13 and three. They were like a couple games back. They ended up losing the, the tiebreaker on a... On, on a game score right on on wins to loss game score they had the same match score they had a slightly worse game score that's why they ended up uh being the third seed so they could have placed directly into the double elimination they were that good and omg was able to beat them and they went to five games with blg like if if you don't see what i'm seeing with omg at this point you'll never see it <laughs> uh good oh, stuff okay Degon's just muted <laughs> i said that's muted. My bad. Oh. Thank you, man. <laughs> um, I think for me, special shout outs to the, our runners up in, in this KT. I think KT would be like a really good pick here. Oh, yeah. In terms of like exceeding and being excited for what yeah, they've done. Especially, especially because the solo lanes on KT both had their worst years ever last year and then be, became rehabilitated into some of the best players in the entire league and Keen and yeah. BDD. So that was very exciting. Yeah. But I mean, I think you have to go with. North America. Let's go with Cloud9 here, right? They were supposed to be the team yep. that was the best. They are the best. They are. You can't do anything else other than beat the expectations that are there when you're number one. And the way that they're, again, just the, the gravitas of the way that they were going about business 
in this one was it just felt different. And I mean, you've got what the goat jungler of NA. You've got now budding goat where where we talk about it in the interview. Uh, you believe uh, that lane. six months ago it was controversial to say Blabber was the goat jungler? Can you yeah, can you imagine I, that? I that I was the only person on that thing that voted him as the goat out of everyone else, pro players, casters, other X-Menthi. personalities. What, they voted X Smithy. Everyone voted X Smithy. I was the only Smithy. person that voted Blabber out of like twenty five people or something crazy. <laughs> did, did someone else put Santorn or uh, Spence Karen? I don't think I so. can't remember. But it was like so. Here's the thing: when you whenever you go for greatest of all time, you always care about peak over longevity. Like you can't play for longer at a lower level and then just outclass somebody because you played for longer. It's always about how good were you. If you are the best, if you're like if you're an MVP level player, you're automatically better than somebody who's a role player. And it was so crazy to me that in like no one no one's gonna make that argument in. A different sport in in the NBA, no one's gonna say, "Oh, this star, this star, this MVP level player is worse than like a role player on another team." No one's gonna be like, "Yeah, you know, I think like Jokic is, I think that he's actually a worse basketball player than Draymond Green because Draymond Green, he's got he's got all the titles and he's just you know like he's got four titles. Jokic has no titles. Like I know he won MVP, but." I think Draymond Green is actually just a better basketball player overall because what he provides for for the team, the intangibles. No one's going to have that conversation in basketball, but it's crazy that we have that conversation in league. Not wrong. Not wrong. Well, uh, Cloud9, that's, I, I think, again, just building upon the experience that they have. Berserker just uh, just feeling like a vet. Now you, you're wondering about MS, but that's the thing. You've got a bunch of things that can maybe contain the the fire in the mid lane uh, and then Mithy who's just been there, right? He's been there. So uh, exciting to watch. Also got a no more level ones like that, Sven. No more level ones like that, but I, I'm excited to see what they do. over I mean, he's, he's not a thrush player. I mean, look, if you think about all the champions that he's having to learn, like you, like he might've played some off roll thrush, but he hasn't put in hundreds of thrush games. If you think about other support players, how many thrush games they have, thrush is like the premier support player or the support champion for like almost every support player. If you look in at NA, people's yeah. accounts in like season six, season seven, that main support, their most plates always going to be fucking thrush. It just is what it is. People just love that champion that, that are professional players because of all the things you can do. There's no way that you one can pick up that champion. One of the best design champions in League of Legends. Yeah, Same thing can I be mean, said about Lee Sin and junglers, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is when you look at the way that the game works, Thresh was super, super strong at other points and they've had to, they had, they've had to uh tune down thresh consistently because of how strong he was previously and people have gotten so much better at him that they've been able to keep it viable but it, it would, it's really hard to pick up a champion like thresh right now it's like if you've never played lee sin as a jungler and you're trying to pick it up right now like it's very difficult because of how good other people are on it and how many reps they have so i just feel like i want to see more of the champions that sven is actually good at like Renata's so good lulu's so good and you know, it's 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 good for him that those champions are, are solid because Lulu obviously plays with the mentality of an AD, which is, I mean, it's it's very good that he has that. And then Renata came out last year, so it wasn't that hard to like get to the same level as everyone else. I feel like Thresh is just not the champion for that. Interesting. Well, that is our high key, low key, no key on expectation blasters, and I guess those that uh, still have to prove a little bit more for us. All right, last segment of the show this week. 
LPL playoff predictions. We're almost there at the end. What? Three teams. We're not talking T1. We did. We talked about T1 a lot. You want to talk about T1 again? T1. We well, I mean, yeah, we didn't really talk about the games. Uh, okay. We talked about the cast. <laughs> Let's uh, get We talked about it. the games as well, but I'm happy to, I'm happy to go, go with it. All right, Dom. Lead us, lead us into this one uh, uh, again. A uh, for the LCK in the finals. Everything going T one's way throughout the season. Gen G, they're warmed up from their, uh, I guess their lower bracket final matchup, and they perform. I, I think for me, the the most crucial part of the series is that everything that people hype up T one for and the their main identity ended up disappearing over the course of the series. Like, if you look at how they are supposed to be playing, right? When you think about Caria and how he started this this season, what was he getting super popular for? Playing the Kalista support, the Vera support, the Caitlyn support. He could play every single AD champion as a support. Obviously, that's nerfed, but they're still bully lanes, right? So if you played Enchantress into him, he would be able to absolutely bully you. So it was very hard to draft against T1 because of the fact that they had an answer to all this the Enchantress supports, but they also could play all the Enchantress supports but no one else could actually play the counters that he was able to play. And then on top of that, he could also play the whole other wealth of like engage and everything that you have uh, open to you. And if you look at the most crucial game in the series, which is this game four, after you've won game three and you see the fact that you're blinding Braum for who people say is by far the best player in the world, right? That's the wolf quote from, from Twitter. He is by far the, the best player in the world. Why would you ever draft Braum blind for the best player in the world? Like Braum can make sense. And if you are playing support, why would you, know, you ever want to? This, this reminded me of when they put uh, Canyon on Trundle in that game five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is like, why are we doing this? Like, this is this isn't how this isn't how you empower no. your best players. The reason why you did it is because JJ was getting the better of Canyon in that series, so they're trying to they're trying to give him something that he was able to still affect the game on that he wasn't going to have to contend straight up with JJ because JJ was in fucking God mode in that series. So I think in this game, like in this series, it, it kind of was similar world to light. I thought was just the better support over the course of the series. And here, like if you're going to blind pick something, you're definitely not blind picking Braum, right? Like Braum is a champion that is very specific. There's a reason why we don't see early pick Braum's. Almost every Braum you see is going to be four or five, unless you see see like a Nautilus picked one, two, three. Yeah, and it's only and, into it's only into backline access comps, which is like not what Gen G was building here. So yeah, so it makes no sense. You see a yep. Jinx, and then you're just going to give them a free Lulu Jinx and play Braum yourself. And then what did they end up doing with this? Ah, oh, okay. So you took the R4 Braum. What is your R5? It's a fucking Scion. You're picking Scion. Like, Cassante was already showing. I know Cassante's technically at flex. But if you're willing to play Scion into Cassante, and you look at the other champions that are banned You just Doran, have no threat versus Jinx, Trist, Lulu, Maokai. You have no but threat. Isn't, but isn't that the other part about T1? That Zeus is like this insane carry top? He's the best carry top player in the world, right? Like, he's the guy that plays Yone. Like, not in finals, apparently, is what we've he's learned. Never, he never shows up in finals. He never shows up in finals. So when you look at, at this type of I comp, mean, like... Keen, Keen bopped him also in the series they played against KT. Yep, he bopped him hard. And even, like, in the series where Doran was completely sprinting it, Doran still got, like, his weird-ass solo kill on the Orin um, in, I believe it was Game 3 of the Gen G series uh, versus T1, the upper bracket series as well. So it was it was pretty, like weird to see the adaptation from t1 what happened to their whole identity 
Like, and that that makes me think that they don't actually believe that that, that they have a massive edge playing their their main champions. I feel like they look really good when they're stomping bad teams, but like you look at all their series, they didn't look insane versus Gen G. When we talked about it on the show last week, the main thing oh, yeah. th that I was saying, the main angle I was taking because uh, obviously I predicted Gen G to beat KT is that I thought that Gen G could win in finals. We didn't, I didn't even make a prediction. I and I probably would have predicted T1, but my main point was that the reason I thought the finals could be competitive is there's uh, Doran played horrible in the previous series, and if he just plays a little bit better the games are actually winnable and they were able to, to get gold leads on top of that. There's also the whole mental game here. Like Gen G just won a finals. Like three of those players just won a finals versus T1 lineup last finals in summer. So T1 wants to be playing against KT there. Like they would love to have a telecom war that like they always, that they feel super comfortable in. They always seem to win no matter what. So even if they get behind, they won't feel that pressure. But Gen G looked like a fucking, uh, it just, it's a style. It's a good stylistic matchup. It's a good stylistic matchup for Gen G. So I was really surprised to see how T1 adapted throughout the season and how they completely lost their identity. And by the end, like they're just building comps that don't make sense. And they're, they're no longer buying into what they, what, you know, what they were showing was their advantages over other teams. There's no carry tops and there's blind pick supports like Braum. Thoughts? I, I think the like we've talked about, I think that draft in the last game of the series, it was really disappointing from T1. And, you know, once we saw Gen G just basically opt into front to back team fighting, which they didn't do with Lissandra in game number three of that series, even though, by the way, that was still a very winnable game from from uh, Gen G. the wrong item in that game, by the way. He should not go Gale Force in that game. He needs to go Kraken Slayer. Who's going to kill anyone? If they have Lissandra, if they have Lissandra, who is going to kill? Is, is Doran going to yeah. kill everyone in that game? Like, you need to go Kraken Slayer on Zaya. But yeah, continue with your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you're you're correct. Um, and like, Chovy did have a pretty massive lead in that lane. Not that it means a lot on the Lissandra into the composition that they were operating with because of the Tom Kench, especially that was there, made it very difficult, I think, for Chovy to actually uh, convert his lead into a win. Um, but they did surprisingly well in spite of the fact that I think they their win condition was pretty difficult. And then by the time they just swapped it up in in the fourth game of the series, it, it really did feel over, even though T1 was able to get some small early leads based around their the the strong 2v2 they had in in the mid and jungle. So I don't know. I mean, I think I think Genji did great. I think Doran, to your point about if Doran plays a little bit better, well, Doran played a lot better in the first two games of the series and then started drawing the Gragas bands as things went on. And his Gragas teleports and flanks were really, really good. And I don't know what it is about Zayas. Maybe it's not Zayas playing worse. Maybe it's the fact that um, oh, hey, hey, maybe it's that he actually just imbues enemy top laners and finals with greater power, right? Like it's a new theory I'm working with here because that's it explains why Kingen was the MVP of the World Finals as well, right? I mean, just think about the last final. Maybe he maybe he's Doran. like maybe he's a mutant and he has the reverse power of Rogue from x-men where instead of taking other people's powers he just gives it to them instead he gives his powers to them i feel like this is the same level of 
the same level of hopium that uh you know the broadcast was using when they mixed all the audio out <laughs> when t1 was dying and only you know like only turned it back on when t1 was getting <laughs> yeah it's not that that zayas is choking dom it's that he's reverse rogue that's that's my uh, mental gymnastics okay i mean if you look at the last finals he played think about what his champion pool was in the finals that he played in 2022 summer for his genji where he's just playing only tanks and he's playing Mordekaiser and shit. And it's like, this guy's identity completely evaporates in all the biggest moments. Like, well, I think he also, I think he, uh, he just tilted in game one because there were in the top lane, you know, there were Doran was escaping with like actual one HP in some of those early top skirmishes. And it was I, just because like they let, they, they knew that his passive was coming up and owner stopped autoing. Right. Cause they're trying to give the kill to Jace. Yep. And then the I think Jace could have flashed. I'm trying to remember. I think Jace could have flashed for it as well. But anyway, <laughs> um they, they did make mistakes, but I think like that actually just like broke Zayas that game and the next game because the Kennen game was also really underwhelming. Um I think that was that game was a stomp in many ways. But this Gen G just looked like the team that was better prepared as well. And I think T1 one criticism that I would level against them throughout this entire playoffs is they looked really unprepared for KT as well. Like, you know what KT is going to do. They didn't do anything new in that series. But if you look at the strategies that Gen G was using against KT, they were, they were playing in a way that made it very difficult for KT to play the way that KT plays. I, I didn't see that from T1. T1 felt like they were resting on their laurels and they didn't come in with anything in particular special for this series. It didn't <laughs> seem like they were prepared to play against Gen G or KT. Well, look, it looked like they were just they were just hoping that like they get the championship by default. Like they're they're hoping. Yeah, that no, they no, just that's got... what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I, I think you know, and remember, they picked KT. They picked KT and they almost lost to KT. And they mm -hmm. it, they they didn't KT use the same strats that they, that we had seen for the last month of the regular season. Um, the difference is that Gen G had very specific answers to those strategies and very specific ways they were playing the map around them. That, that made it real hard. Yeah. T1 didn't do that. And but I think T1, T1 had way too much confidence in themselves that they didn't have to do anything special in this series in order to win. And they didn't have to prepare anything special in this series in order to win. And they didn't have to play differently, potentially, in order to win. It, it, it really, but they didn't it really even just play felt like they, they came in blind. They didn't even play what they used to play, right? Yeah. So, like, the well, stuff they, that we know... they did go back to the Caitlyn Lux, but sure. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they go to the Caitlyn Lux that's, like, available, cool. They play the Caitlyn Lux, and then if you think about how that lane's supposed to play out, obviously, Guma lost Flash early, but they're also playing against no Flashes. They didn't get, they didn't play oh, the way you'd expect flash. them. Um, no, he didn't. Play. No, he didn't. You're right. Yeah, no, pays flashed. Actually, you're right. Continue. Yeah. So, anyways, this is a, this is a game where you're you're T1, right? You have you have mid and bot. You you should have the push in bot lane perma, and you should be able yes. to stack Drakes, which is T1's whole identity, right? They play really aggressive bot lane matchups. They have Faker roam with owner and dive the bot lane if the bot lane stays under turret. If not, they just move to try to just get more plates. They get a massive bot lane lead, and then every time Dragon spawns, they just take the Dragon because they have so much pressure on that side of the map. 
they weren't even winning the they didn't they weren't even getting the dragon advantage versus Genji when Genji is the dragon sacrifice team. Genji is yes. the team that is like we will give every single dragon. We'll even give third dragon. We might even fucking give soul if we're feeling it. They will give every dragon they in the game. They did that in the last series they played yes. against T1. Yeah, they did it in the last series. They played against T1. And then in this series, Genji was actually winning the dragon fights. Like, I looked at one of the games and I'm like, what the fuck? Ah, oh, the overlays bug. Genji has three drakes. I've never seen this before in my life. How does Genji have three drakes? Like, maybe if they play against fucking KDF or some shit, they'll have three drakes. Actually, they lost to KDF last time they played. No, never mind. They'll never have three drakes. There's no time where they'll ever have three drakes. They actually had drakes in this series. So it was really weird in terms of like the gameplay from T1 it felt like they didn't they didn't draft the same way they didn't play the game the same way and you see when this team gets behind their comeback play T1's play is like yeah just start baron it doesn't actually feel like that was just something that they that they opted into that was this like really intelligent play in the KT game 5 where they ended up coming back it wasn't like oh well that was just them figuring out the only way they could win and actually doing it it's like no they just do that regardless like if they're yes. behind it all, they just go to Baron and they start hitting they go to Baron it. They Baron in 22 minutes and they start it and they hope you panic and that they can outhands you. Yeah. That's what they did against KT. But the thing is, when I say Gen G was prepared, they didn't make the mistake, as I said earlier, that KT did, which is like, oh God, like we have to all in right now. Like they kind of just slowly rolled up to the Baron, like made sure they were in position before they started the engagement. The problem is that- Well, the first Baron they gave it by like, yeah. they just got out hands actually there. Chovy had a terrible TP, died instantly, and then they gave the Baron. But yeah. yeah, like the second one, they ended up playing it well and they came from multiple angles. Yeah, so I, I think that they felt much more confident because it wasn't that- in some of the in, in the in the game five, it wasn't that KT, you know, with their massive league couldn't have won that Baron fight. It's that they were stupid about how fast they all ended that Baron instead of actually doing a proper setup or playing for the post Baron kills. It didn't yeah. matter in game five versus KT versus T1 that T1 got that Baron. They were going to die afterwards. And the, the gold gap was absolutely fucking enormous. 7K. Yeah, so it it really, like, it would have sucked, kind of, but I think they could have cleaned up that fight. Instead, they just walked straight into the faker flank trap and Keen got 100 to zeroed, and then they lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then, um, so then there's that. Then there's also just the general macro issues with T1. So, for example, when they get the, the Baron in game one, the fact that they just don't, they get the Baron in game one, right? They have Baron. There's a bunch of turrets on the map, and it's very simple to play the map out with this Baron. You're not playing for inhibs or anything crazy. You push mid, you push bot, you get control of the bot side jungle, and then you rotate between mid and bot, and you chip down in both turrets. You eventually just get the turrets because you have Baron buff. They have to rotate the long way. You can cut between um, the uh, the lanes, and then you also have cloud map. You have cloud soul map, so you have the mm. movement speed to even make you faster at doing this rotation. And they... They just ran like Faker is just randomly in the jungle when Zeus hasn't pushed the wave and he just dies. And then their whole Baron play, like they end up like losing gold on the Baron player. They don't get close to as much as they they should with with this this Baron buff. They're not playing the macro properly. Then later on in the game, there's a Drake that doesn't actually matter to T1. It's like a cloud Drake. I think it's third. It's not Soul. And T1 should just be trying to hold Genji at that Drake. So that Zeus could push mid because Zeus is already pushing mid alone. So it's 4v5 on the Drake and Faker just walks up, gets Gragas cast and they all start dying. And then Zeus roams over to try to help the fight instead of just letting the guy push. Like it's like, like they're not recognizing the advantages that they have in the game. You have a Jace pushing mid. Jace is one of the best turret taking champions in the entire fucking game. And 
they're not just playing to get the turrets mid. They're having the rest of T1 try to force like a 4v5 engagement. It's like they're not, they don't even understand that, there should, that they should be the ones trying to stall the enemy team. They're trying to actually like fight, even though they, they didn't even set up the map in a way where they could fight. If you did want to fight, I think it's the wrong call, but you would obviously bring the Jace, right? You want to fight 5v5. I assume you don't want to take a 4v5 down a member for no reason um, when you're in a game that's completely winnable. So I was watching these games and I'm like, damn. So like not only is T1 playing the macro bad, their drafts com completely changed. Like they're just Scion Braum team now. Okay. And their decider game, the people that are the most hyped on this roster are Karia and Zeus. And those are the guys that are just playing like the, the do nothing champions in a spot that doesn't make sense. They get completely outdrafted. Then they get a small lead and they end up losing. I don't know. I saw like so many issues throughout the series. And it's like everything that we talked about with T1, because you'd always come on yep. the show and like one thing to, like it would be like why don't you ever like praise t1 because i would keep on mentioning stuff like hey i think that their macro isn't like that great i think that like this part of, of their game is exploitable and it's always be like what do you think they do well and i was like oh well i think that the thing that i said that they do well is they have really good lane comps for bot lane and they play with their jungle mid to dive bot consistently and they end up blowing up the game through that playing like destroying the bot side of the map getting drakes and everything that was gone man they didn't do any yep. of that in this series um, despite the fact that the, the Lee Sin, you know, the Viego were available a lot of the time in this series. And I think part of the mistake, too, is like, you know, trying to take you, you can take Sejuani away from Peanut. But the problem is, is that he will just play Wukong. Like, you can't ban out Peanut. Like, you may want to, but I he'll think other Vi. teams figured that's not the play. He'll, he'll play Vi. I mean, you have to ban the Vi, right? So yeah. at that point, he has Sejuani, Maokai, and Wukong, all of which he's fine on. So there's not really a point to, I think trying to take away champions from peanut because that's not an option really like peanut's just going to play for the team um and he's going to play for the team fight most of the time and he's going to play in a way where he's maybe not applying a ton of pressure early like owner does but it did feel like they were t1 was opting into that style instead of trying to get the early game advantages that they typically do um i mean the elise was even up in the last game of the series, right? And that's been that's been a core piece of of T1's victories. Yeah. I think I, I do think T1 really was extraordinary during much of this year, like absolutely phenomenal. Um, but I also I think the bigger point for me is that T1 is now now in spite of the fact that they make all these finals, which is laudable in and of itself. In 2022 and 2023, they've made five consecutive major finals, all domestic finals, MSI finals, and world finals. And they have lost four out of the five now. And they're on a four-final losing streak. And it is not fair to say that they were the favorites in the summer final because we all expected Gen.G to stomp T1, which is exactly what happened. They're favorites but, in the other three. But they were favorites in the other three. Correct. And so they have now lost four finals in a row, three of which they were the favorites going into. And big favorites too. Like it wasn't supposed to be close. It was supposed to be like 3-0, like maybe look like kind of, maybe at worst look like one of the series that we just watched, the C9 Golden Guardians one, where it's like, you look, you watch the series and you're like, okay, C9's by far the better team, but they were like kind of playing bad, which is kind of how their final, their original final looked. Uh, versus Gen G, the one that they won in spring last year, where even though they did drop one game in that final, it just looked like they were the better team. Even when Gen G had positions where they could potentially win, they just weren't able to, to keep it together. But 
the fact that they're massive favorites and then just the way they, they end up playing, like if you think about their elimination games, I think that that's the most damning thing. The Yumi Jin, like get yep. me out, man. The Yumi Jin, where you <laughs> give Bin, out. you give Bin his Gwen when he's absolutely been destroying you on it in like the fights, and you're like, oh well, Jace will win lane. Jace didn't even win. Like Jace got some plates. Jace got a couple plates. The Gwen completely took over the game. You think about that that elimination game that they played into uh into uh DRX where they're giving Kingen his Aatrox again. It's like what? Like why would you? Why are you doing this? And then you look at this game where they where they go out on Scion Brom. That is like the opposite of clutch. When you look at teams that are clutch, they're just giving their agency to their best players and they're like, fuck it. If we lose, we yeah, lose. I agree. You know, like this is what we play. We're, we, we're confident in ourselves. Like carry is the best support in the world. Give him his picks. He's going to stomp this fucking lane. Give Zeus a fucking carry. He's going to put it up in the enemy top laner. Look, like that's a Cassante. That's a Cassante blind. You get five pick. You know, it's Cassante top at that point. It is a Cassante blind. There's so many picks. There's so many picks. Where's the Fiora? Where's the Jax? Like, where are these picks? I mean, if you don't, if you're like, oh, well, Fiora, even though it's good into Cassante, is not that I great. Mean, the, into Gwen, the Gwen would have been interesting here, too. So, the Gwen as well. Like, you have all these options and you decide on Scion. It's like that. Then why are you R5ing your top laner? It, it just, to me, there was all these issues that I'm like, this is not T1. This is they they are they are chokers. They are by definition chokers. It doesn't mean they can never win again. But when you're the best team in the in the world, to lose the finals in the manner that they did was more yeah, of the choke fair. than the actual fact that they lost. Who's the second biggest underperformer? Right, I think we already hit that. It's Zayus up top. Who's I think Faker is really Faker. underperformed. I think Faker is really underperforms in the big games. He was hard outclassed by by Zika at at Worlds at, at, during that series. I think he was hard outclassed. His build was like such a weird build. He was going the uh, was he going like the Crown Zonia's build? It was something. I mean, this is like literally six months ago. I'm trying to remember the series, but he went like this. He went some build that was awful, like that just didn't have Deathcap or Void in it. When you're playing Victor, didn't make any sense. And then you look at like these games, and he's not the one that's pushing and roaming. Even in the game that they won. It's Chovy that's roaming. Chovy was all over the map. Chovy styled on him in terms of roaming this series. Chovy Omega gapped Faker, in, and it was comprehensive gapping. And if you even think about game one, how easy is that game for Faker? He literally gets first blood like at like fucking two minutes or two minutes into the game because uh, Wukong goes for like a wolf invade and just dies. And he just gets a free first blood. And you expect this Vagar, who's monster, he's mega into the enemy comp to be able to take over. And it just didn't do it. He ended up going like, I think he went dead man's third or something. Yeah, man, it was just tough to watch. And then the, the final game, they actually are in position. They're, they're ahead. The Drake fight happens. He R's into the whole enemy team, just gets one shot on that Drake fight. Owner almost carries that fight. And then at the end of the game where they're defending after they give the Baron, they're defending mid. He's the one that R'd into the whole enemy team and stopwatched. Like he, he choked it out. And that's the goat. The goat was choking in this series. It it was it was tough. It was tough. And also, you know, he as as spectacular as I mean, he he choked in the final game of the RNG series at MSI last year as well. He got absolutely and, clapped by Xiaohu in that game. Yeah, and as spectacular as he was in the semifinals of Worlds, I mean, his rise play was really great. I think he was arguably mm -hmm. the best player on T1 in the semis. He didn't I choke agree. for the final. Yeah, he shit on Yagao in that semis. In the finals, he just styled on him, so... It's tough, right? Because he is the GOAT and he was the guy who was clutch and he was so far above everyone else in previous years, yeah. but 
I think in recent in recent years when you watch like T1, it's almost like he doesn't want to like he he just wants other people to carry him to the title almost. Or it's like, it's like the other side of things where he's overcompensating. Well, it's almost like he's still a demon king, but is he still an unkillable demon king? I don't know. He's a killable you, demon you, king. You, you you beat a man in a world final with Malzahar and he loses confidence forever. <laughs> now he's still a demon <laughs> king because he's like, hey, you guys carry me to this, but <laughs> uh all right. Well, they have it. The breakdown of our LCK finals uh between T1 and Genji. That was our just in case you didn't figure it out, that was our certified beggar of the week. Yeah, I wasn't All gonna right. let you get out of here, Monty, without flaming T one. So <laughs> we had some free. <laughs> I don't care. I wanted Genji to win. What the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> you wanted KT to win. I thought. Bring up, bring up the photo. Bring up the photo. Crying again. I man. want Genji is my my favorite team at the moment because I like the way they play. Um, that's what I've consistently said. It's not that yeah. I wanted KT to win. I just didn't think Genji would win. But then when they beat KT in the way they did, I, I felt very good about them going to the finals. Oh, Monty, not only did I predict them, I also won money off fucking nice. Genji winning that series. <laughs> oh, Let's go. By, by the way, I saw those odds. It was, by the way, it, I, this is just an aside. The odds that I saw in the finals because the line had been pushed so far by T1 fans, <laughs> it was literally like four four yeah. for genji <laughs> there is no way that a sane person could have watched how they beat kt and then been like oh yeah yeah, yeah th th this is a four to one odds for genji i was like this is insane like you should just put this i mean it's like if they win yeah. i mean it, so it was probably like even if you were even if you were a really big t1 fan after watching the way genji played both versus t1 in the previous series and versus kt you would have been like optimistically this is probably like 60 percent t1 optimistically probably less than that there's no way that it was like four to one that's that's insane. here's something crazy right here's something here's something absolutely insane so normally when you're betting on odds throughout the series it'll change based on how the game's going right so to win the <laughs> series or well, how the series is going in the series when when genji was 2-0 up genji was 2-0 up Mm -hmm. E1 was 3.4 odds to win the series. There were 3.4 to Genji's 1.26. <laughs> so before the game started, reverse the score sweep. Was, That's crazy, yes, actually. 3.4 on a reverse sweep after like Genji <laughs> had fucking two solid ass the, games. Those are good start, odds right? for a reverse sweep. <laughs> Very good. So so Genji, Genji had lower odds to win the series when the score was 0 0 or higher odds to win the series. When the score was 0-0, the T1 had when Genji was 2-0 up. What world are we living in? It is absolutely <laughs> insane. The T1, by, by the way, this is something I noticed last year, Dom. I made, you know, I did well, like, betting against T1 a lot of the time just because the odds were always so insanely biased towards T1. Um, there was a lot of free shit in there, for sure. Yeah. I didn't start betting until this year, so I didn't get to capitalize. But, dude, being a, <laughs> being a fucking hater... It pays off when it comes to betting. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right. Well, a segment that we'll love to close it on out. LPL playoffs. Final three teams. So left on in it. Uh, Dumb. Who you got going through in our lower bracket finals into our grand finals and representing the LPL at MSI. Which, I won't be uh, able to today's, today's match is tonight. Like, I guess after we yeah. record this today. So we have one tonight and then one on the yeah, 11 hours from now. Friday. Friday. Yeah. 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 So I have uh, BLG winning. I want them. I'm, I'll be rooting for them 
just because I think that they have higher ceiling than EDG. And I also want to see, um, I, I mean, I feel like we're already going to see EDG, like a better version of EDG going to MSI from Genji. I think Genji is literally just EDG, but better. Um, like it just, I think the players are pretty similar outside of like, maybe always, I mean, always definitely better than Doran, but I would say Trophy is massively better than Fofo. So like that's like, <laughs> yeah, that's like very true. <laughs> yeah, it cancels out. I think both lanes, both ball lanes are pretty solid as well. Um, and junglers are are solid too. But I just think that BLG would be such a fun team to send to MSI because Bin is just a fucking beast. Like when Bin is playing his best, he is one of like just the best carry top laners in the entire world. Like you'll just never he'll solo kill people in just ways that you'll never expect to be even angles. Like and he just beat 369's ass, who's the most consistent top laner, I would say. Over the last year and a half, I'd say 369 has just been the most consistent top laner in the world. He was just so fucking good for so long. And he was just the ultimate weak sider. And his biggest strength is dealing with players like like Bin, dealing with players like the shy, dealing with players like Ole. That's what you get 3694. And Bin just gave it to him in the upper bracket. So I think Bin's a beast. Um, I think Yagao has gotten into form again. Shun is a really interesting player. He's pretty flippy. I mean, sometimes he'll have some terrible games or have some bad moments. But overall, I think BLG is just a fun team. And Elk is just p performing at, at the best that he's uh, performed yeah, in a while. Elk and so. On look pretty good. Yeah, they, they look pretty good. So I, I want to see Bin back at MSI. I mean, he's the only former MSI champion from last year that could still make it, right? Well, and this is why we wait until LPL playoffs to like really evaluate teams because again, the, the regular season is very difficult to read because teams don't try that hard a lot of the time and they only play a single round Robin. So there's a lot of kind of fake games against bad teams. And I think while... EDG is a team that I have enjoyed, but at the same time, there were always going to be questions of when all the other teams are trying really hard, if they have the individual player strength in order to really capitalize on a very, very tough playoff. And it's actually impressive to me that they they made it to the upper bracket, especially since there are some flaws that appear within, like their macro is good, but one thing that I've noticed is that they are pretty bad at playing around summoner spell timers in engagements, like in the series that they played against JDG, JDG was like throwing out flashes left and right a lot of the time and sometimes failing to convert on picks they were making or plays or skirmishes that they were trying to, to win. And then there was never really any punishment by EDG and team fights around that, or it didn't feel like they were playing their engagements as though they knew flashes were down or they knew ultimates were down. And so I wasn't really impressed with their skirmishing or their team fighting as a result of that, even if they do tend to be at the right places at the right time when it comes to their macro. So I'm not sure that players like Fofo are really going to be able to handle you know, top tier Korean teams or or even like top tier Chinese teams at this point, considering it was a close, you know, a close series versus um um versus okay. OMG as well. So uh, their macro is their strength, but Leave also was getting caught out a lot, um, being punished a lot. And I think against other world class teams, they may struggle just on like an individual or team fighting level. All right, Billy Billy looking like in the driver's seat to be the number two seed with uh, this ruler-led dominant JDG squad. Also, I, I mean, I just love playoffs Yagao, man. Like, I was so impressed with him and his... He's what, played what's the, really well. I, I'm going to caveat this with Billy Billy. 
I am not sure the Chinese teams have the best meta read. As I said earlier in the show, I'm, I don't know if giving one team Wukong, Annie, and Zeri simultaneously is like, I think if you do that versus, you know, Gen G, you are going to have a really fucking bad time. If you do it um, versus T1, you probably win the game. <laughs> that's, that's true. They hate the Zeri. So, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, especially the Annie is very interesting how often it slips through the draft in LPL. Um, and so I, I'm not sure if Yagao is being somewhat boosted by the fact that he appears to get the Annie more than most sane teams would allow him to have that pick. But also he has stepped up his game. And to my point, I mean, he last year, all the other stuff, that's like why I don't sure. think that that's too much of an issue, right? Like when you look at, at, at his other picks, like when he's playing the Vagar and good Vagar games, when he's playing the silence, yeah. he still looks like a fucking beast. Sure. So yeah, that's yeah. The, I, I, I the do freak. love how Yagao ramps up though, because watching his rise and his year through the summer playoffs in LPL, what's really cool about this guy is the creativity of his plays that he demonstrates. Mm. Like his on the fly decision-making is so interesting and unique that when he's on, I mean, he he really just feels like he can, he will think of ideas that other mid laners just don't. And I think that's what's cool about watching him. It's not that he's necessarily the greatest individual player, but he is one of the most creative players that I've seen out there when he's on form. Yeah. I mean, he no. had a really bad semifinals last year, but if you looked at every other point, like he was a fucking beast in LPL playoffs last year. Like he was an yeah, absolute... Yeah, he was great. He was very fun to watch. He, he was... He was he was the best. I mean, he outplayed Knight, which was crazy because you know, out of the two, Midley, I mean, they're they're off they're often compared because they were like friends before they played. I believe they're from the same city. Maybe they're not from the same city, but they're they've been compared for for years. They also played against each other in 2020 um, a lot when JDG and Top were just the two best teams in uh, China, and they were just playing against each other over and over again in finals. So they're compared a lot, and Knight's always like been kind of the wonder kid, where Yagao has been. The one who gets most of the flame. He's the guy who they cite his champion pool issues because previously he was like a Zoe LeBlanc two trick. But I mean, over time, I think the Yigal, one thing that's uh, interesting about him is that he's he's generally clutch. He's generally somebody who performs yeah, yeah. in big moments. Obviously, he didn't do that in that one series versus Faker. Um, but if you look at like LPL playoffs, if you look at other series that they played, he steps it up big. Um, and he's somebody that that's able to just give your team always a chance to win because of the, the plays that he's willing to make. And because of the way that he sees the game, he's one of those players that it doesn't, he's not afraid to look bad if it means giving him his team a chance to win. So he will make like, if the, the game is fucked and people are dying, he will make a roam. that will either get his team back into the game or lose the whole game himself. And I think that that's actually super valuable for um, these teams in the big moments, because that's how they're able to come back versus top esports last year. And, you know, now with BLG, it seems like he's just a, a core part of why they ended up ramping up so much. Can I ask you, you know, a question? Sure. Why are they banning the Kindred so much? Like, I know Jun is good on it, but I haven't been able to figure out why it's, like, ban-worthy every time. Because he's, like, I mean, he just gets a lead every game on it, pretty much. Yeah, he gets a, a lead every single game on it. I mean, sometimes his ults, and, like, sometimes he'll he'll run it down afterwards, but... Um, I, it's just super annoying to play into. And also just the way that the team operates, like Yagao is really good at playing setup as well. So if you play against like Annie Kindred and then you play, you know, and they, they move around the map a lot. Also on is a big playmaker. I feel like the game can snowball really, really hard. Um, 
And Chun is just a really good carry jungler. He's very good at these mechanical champions. The other pick that used to be permabanned against him last year was Nidalee. Even though Nidalee was not in a great state, he was just so good at Nidalee that he would just draw one, two, three ban almost every single game. Um, and people just don't want to deal with a really aggressive jungler playing something that's going to be that abusive and that can be that oppressive when they have a lead. a lot of target bans in LPL. That's kind of how yep. LPL works. LPL is, is a is a more target ban stylistic. Region. Yeah, it's a very stylistic based league, which is one of the reasons why it's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah chat was saying of, you got to. You got to ban the Kindred. Shun's Kindred. So. Got to ban Shanji's Rumble. I mean, there's there's always been things like this. The other guy who would always get the Nidalee ban was Lan, who's on RA. He would always get these bans. Yeah. There was a while where Bin, you had to ban Camille against Bin. Didn't matter if Jax was up. Didn't matter if Renekton was up. You just had to ban Camille versus uh, Bin. There's just a lot of these uh, players that have ex insane special champions that they're they're really good at. So um, that's always been how LPL teams are. LPL teams are very rarely extremely well-rounded. I mean, the exception would probably be um, like EDG in 2021. They were probably one of the most well-rounded Chinese teams we've ever seen that's actually ended up doing stuff uh, internationally. But when you look at, at the the other teams that have had success, you look at FPX and you know their mid lane roaming style with Doing B. You think about IG when they ended up winning, where they had like the shy playing all these ridiculous carry tops, and they would have Ning playing his like level three gankers every single game and just getting him ahead. Teams really like to be specialized in LPL, and they will just try to instead of adapting to the meta, they will try to like force their their they'll adapt their style to to incorporate certain key meta champions that they perceive to be OP, but end their draft and round their draft out with specific picks that will be able to play into what they're really, really good at. So you'll always see these types of like unique um, champions come in from teams that have developed styles with them, which is part of the reason why I've liked OMG for so long is because they've had such a, like a unique and exciting style. Oh yeah, for sure. That's well, it. you gal get the back to back. We'll, well find out. <laughs> well, I think predictions like it feels as though, yeah, it feels as though we're heading towards the Billy Billy JDG final with JDG winning. I hope so. Yeah, we'll see. All right, we'll see. Uh, they have it JDG and Billy Billy, the predicted two representatives for MSI with JDG moving on through. We'll find out uh, again later tonight. So, I guess. Well, you, I guess when this gets uploaded, it'll be done by the time this comes done. out on pod. <laughs> and we'll know uh, who who the top two will be. And then the finals are on Saturday, I think, for the Western world. Um, and it'll be like Saturday night in uh, China. Y'all, this was a fully action-packed episode of Power Spike. <laughs> As it's the be. longest, the longest Power Spike ever. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it's deserved. We have, we're really deep in LPL playoffs. It was both LCK and LCS finals. So tons of, tons to talk about for sure. Yeah. yeah. We could have went even deeper. Like LPL, that's the thing is there's like six yeah, series yeah. in LPL or like, yeah, what yeah, is yeah. it? Like since the last episode, <laughs> there's like six LPL series. There was two right. LCK series. There was yep. two LCS series. And then there was L uh, a full week of LEC. So. If yeah. only they had delayed the LCS a week, then we could have actually paid attention to everything. Maybe they'll learn that next time. Right. Yeah. Um, when in our next episode, we'll definitely recap a lot of the news that came out this week, right? Bjergsen retiring, CLG selling, energy coming back. 
uh new format for next year there's there's a bunch of things that, actually crazy we didn't talk about any of that but yeah <laughs> there's a bunch of well the reason why is like we'll, we will have time to talk about it because next week it's going to be a little bit lpl and then just all lec so we'll, we have yeah. those topics that aren't going to change in a week that we'll go back and revisit uh dom you got those two series is this is this your break time are you finally free uh kind of just just after this, it's two more LPL series. I'm covering just, EU uh, Masters as well. So, oh my god, he's like, god, it wasn't, dude. it wasn't hard enough. I just gotta add some, <laughs> some tier two competition. Hell yeah, <laughs> um, I'm covering EU Masters uh, playoffs as well. So that'll be seven best of fives. Oh on my top. god, what a monster! Monty, uh, where, where are people gonna still, find you? Still in, still in business world for a while, but we'll do summoning insight tomorrow. And uh, yep, that's what we're working on. Business lizard Monty, uh, probably the least favorite Monty. Wait till he comes back unleashed. Um, <laughs> we will have uh, me and Dom will have face check probably later this week. Uh, and then I've got Winsome, Sticks A, and Fudge. Those are my three interviews from the LCS this nice. week. That'll be up. And the the from a content standpoint, FlyQuest losing first and then having Golden Guardians losing the in the finals made it like the most agreeable like press conference and interviews ever they were just happy to be there and happy to continue moving on uh and those will get uploaded uh by the time that you see this video so guys thank you so much for watching again just from all the fans that came out in raleigh uh and said all those nice things and supported buying the products that we push out that help support us to continue to make the content for y'all uh we thank you from the bottom of our hearts and we will catch you guys next week for more power spike thank you Thank you.